May 10th, 2008, 6.53 p.m. Show off. What? I'm right. It takes a special kind of narcissist to follow some first grader strangling hot cross buns out of a Stradivarius with this masterpiece on whatever piece of garbage you and Monica got off eBay. It's just overkill at this point. Wait. Do we have to hang out with Monica tonight? That was not part of the deal. No, we don't, because Ellie gave all of us the wrong date for the recital on purpose. What she forgot is that I'm smart enough to dig through her planner. Monica's not. Do you smell misty menthols and that god-awful Britney Spears perfume anywhere? Ten bucks says Ellie took the bus here. Kaylin! Tell me I'm wrong! Just because you have to co-parent with her doesn't mean you have to deny that she's just a bad generic version of a person. The Sam's Cola of women. The nighttime cold and flu relief of potential stepmothers. Thank God we managed to run her off. What both of you shut up? I'm recording this, and your sister's doing a great job. She sits quietly for your choir concerts and community theater productions and nerd competitions. It's called Quiz Bowl, Dad. If you ever bothered to show up for a match, you would know that. Watching a bunch of middle schoolers somehow make Jeopardy more boring is exactly what I want to do with my Saturday mornings. You're too smart for your own good, Kay. You don't need me there cheering for you to get your points. It's not about the points, old man. It's about the deep, visceral satisfaction of knowing something that no one else in the room does. But I understand how that's a hard concept for you to grasp. Ow! Oh, she's been glaring daggers through my head since she walked on stage. She knows we're here. (sighs) I'm taking us all out for shitty diner food after this, aren't I? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Ellis. And now for our next performer. everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Dual Desert Song. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-GM'd TTRPG actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Dual Desert Song. 
you're going to come to terms with the fact that sometimes you just brush up against weird shit like ships in the night, Wyatt. And that it's okay to say, you know what? Nah. And move on. That's advice I really could have used a couple years ago. Yep, that's reinforced steel back there. It's either a safe or a panic room. I feel like I should ask, but I really don't want to. As you sort of cautiously move into this safe and start looking through the artifacts, you feel a powerful magical energy, which is weird because it's just a feather. Nah, just because it's not malicious towards me doesn't mean it would be helpful, so I'm going to try and find the shield. I I saw them. I saw the sirens and Camille. They're in some kind of shopping center. I don't know. Mr. O'Connell, you have something that does not belong to you. We would like it back. I need everyone to know that I, as a player, understand that this is a bad decision. But I have to play my character, so I'm going to roll to kick some ass. Matheon, send in the clowns. Alright, two down, but the big one's still out there. Find the girls! You watch as Chloe Hernandez's face goes from horror and frenzied energy to complete placid calm as she begins to sing. I can't believe I just died in a fucking Quiznos. (laughs) Hold on. Was that... Nah. So, we saved y'all a lot of time and energy listening to everything we did in regards to balancing our character sheets. We went ahead and did our end-of-session experience, leveled everybody up, all that stuff off-mic, but here's a quick rundown of everything that's changed. So, on Team K, Lola leveled up. She took a new move from her first encounters. It's called Strange Dangers. You are always watching for hazards. When you have no armor, you still count as having one armor. Lydia took another move from the mundane called Don't Worry, I'll Check It Out. Whenever you go off by yourself to check out somewhere or something scary, mark experience. And then... Kaylin cringe-failed so hard all the way through the last mystery that they actually got to level up twice. (laughs) Y'all already saw this happen in the last episode, but she chose to take a move from another playbook. It's from the Chosen playbook. It's called I'm Here for a Reason. There's something you were destined to do. Work out the details with the Keeper based on your fate. You cannot die until it comes to pass. If you die in play, then you must spend a luck point. You will then somehow recover or be returned to life. Once your task is done, or you use up all your luck, all bets are off. I will say kudos as your keeper, because I was going to give you that move for free. Everyone very volunteered to use a level up on that. I'm bringing new meaning to the term failing forward. Kay chose to take a move from the spooky playbook as well, though, called the Big Whammy. You can use your powers to kick some ass. You roll plus weird instead of plus tough. The attack has two harm, close, obvious, ignore armor. On a miss, you get a magical backlash, so can't wait to see what happens with that. And then on Team Damien, it's all stat increases. Dahlia took plus one to weird, which means she's maxed out. She has a plus three. And Luke took plus one to sharp, which means he has a plus two now. And because I almost got fucked so hard... 
by Act Under Pressure like six times last arc, I took plus one to cool, which I think is justified by the fact that Damien burned a casino to the ground and got off a one-liner on the way out. (laughs) And with that all settled, on with the show. Damien, when last we left you, you, Luke, and Dahlia were all bleeding and panicking in the back of a limousine, screeching down South Sammy Davis Jr. Boulevard. You are all still bleeding and panicking in the back of a limousine, but you're headed up the strip now. One Miss Octavia Campbell is sitting in the driver's seat, pedal to the metal, swerving through traffic as she whips around to look over her shoulder back through the partition at the three of you. What the hell went on back there? (sighs) Almost got killed, set the place on fire, mission accomplished. She blinks, almost rear-ends a Range Rover, and whips back around to focus back on the traffic. You set the place on- Oh, Mick's gonna be pissed. Yeah, well, we lived, and Mick should have told us that we were gonna get teleported into the fucking abyss. Teleported into the- Okay, you know what? I hate to admit when the old man's right, but I'm starting to get why Mick says I'm too young for all this vampire shit. I have the PSAT next week. I don't have time for this. Eventually, you make it back to the casino where you know Michael Darcy's penthouse is. Octavia whips the limo into the parking garage, stops the car. You all pile out. And again, like, bloody and singed and looking like shit walk into this lobby to go upstairs. Dahlia looks freaked. Are you getting on the elevator and heading up? Oh yeah, I need to be in a private space by myself to scream for a minute. Yeah, good luck with that. You make it off the elevator in front of the penthouse, Dahlia keys in the front door, and you are greeted with the sight of Michael Darcy in his nighttime uniform of smoking jacket and silk pajama pants pacing back and forth feverishly in front of the huge flat-screen TV in the living room that is playing a clip from a local news station of emergency vehicles and helicopters and everything just swarming the Solstice Casino that is burning like a birthday candle. When he hears the door open, he stops pacing, does not turn around to look at you, and just in this deadly quiet voice goes, So, remember when I asked you not to do anything stupid? Damien cringes for a second, but then fires back. Yeah, and I also remember when you said that the casino turns into a whole other world after dark. He turns to look at you now, looking extremely offended at your impression of him and sort of brings a hand up to his chest. Oh, I'm sorry. I made the foolish mistake of believing you were capable of basic inferencing. So you ignore my advice and then you set the place on fire. He starts pacing again. It's over for me. I can never go back there. 
the VIP rooms in that casino were like the damned Bacchanal for me. But no, now you'll find me at the Golden Nugget trying to feed off the anxieties of a retiree from Boca Raton sitting at the $5 blackjack table. Yeah, well, at least at the Golden Nugget you don't have to watch anybody turn into a ficus. I'm literally just pushing past him. I need a shower after that, but feel free to keep yelling. Oh, Mick does not need your permission to keep yelling. With you disappearing back to the bathroom, not an option to be the object of his ire anymore, he's not going to yell at Dahlia, so he just turns on Luke. And you! I had assumed that you were a worldly man, that you had your wits about you. How could you let this happen? And the last thing you hear before the bathroom door slams behind you is Luke super affronted going, Dude, I literally didn't do anything. I, I could not care less. I am taking a shower. I am turning the water on so hot that it hurts and just standing there for a good few minutes. Yeah, you know what? You've earned that. By the time you're done and reemerge, it seems like Luke and Dahlia have had the same idea that you did and have gone to clean themselves up. Dahlia is sitting on the couch in a bathrobe while Michael bandages her hand where she cut herself all those times to use her stop time rote. And Luke is just sitting in a recliner, folded in on himself with his head in his hands. He's, like, clearly borrowed some pajamas from Mick. The pants are way too long on him. The news is still playing in the background. You're hearing about this fire at the Solstice Casino and a weirdly unconnected fire across the street that the authorities can't seem to figure out what's going on there. And after a minute, Mick looks up from where he's fixing up Dahlia's hand and takes a deep breath. <sighs> All right. I'm done yelling now, but I think it's in all of our best interests that we get on the same page vis-a-vis -vis what's going on. First of all, did you get the shield? Yep. I think I took it into, not the shower with me, but I think it was in my pocket when I took a shower, and I still have it on me now. I'm just gonna hold it up and wiggle it illustratively. Right, excellent. That's very beneficial, given that you've just burned down a casino and are about to have several very angry fey loan sharks after you for messing with their bottom line. They won't just break your kneecaps, they will remove them. Please tell me you made one good decision in all of this and at least killed the people that are the most likely to be the most upset. I dropped a steel garter on Silmaris's boyfriend secretary? Oh, is that the gentleman that looks like Leslie Jordan? Yeah, and he's a real bastard. And I sealed Silmaris off from the back door while we were running. Good news, bad news. Uh, bad news is he was working with some people who were probably going to be very angry. Good news is it's the people that were already sending the cast of fucking Tombstone after me, so how much more pissed can they get, really? Mick fully stops where he's been taping up the bandages around Dahlia's hand. Samaris was working with the Wild Hunt? That's the impression that I got. You're telling me that the Seely Court and the Unseely Court were working together? Yeah. 
and all to get my ass. Ain't I a special one? And I'm gonna go sit down on the couch. Well, your ass must be truly exceptional, because that doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm about to call my high school boyfriend, tell him he didn't know how good he had it. Can we move on to strategizing about this, please? You haven't known Michael Darcy for very long, but he seems to be, for the most part, a pretty composed person. So the fact that you see his expression shift to just naked terror is a really unsettling thing. He, like, scrubs one hand down the side of his face and just shakes his head. Well, then you can't stay here. I was the one that got you into the casino. Even if you have the shield, they'll know where to look. The only thing keeping any of us safe since the veil came down has been that the fake horts are more interested in their own infighting than the rest of us peons. If they're working together for something... I don't know how much Luke or Dahlia heard of Samaris' whole speech, but I am not going to mention the thing that he said about a greater threat and me having the blood of an entire world on my hands or whatever. I'm gonna keep that one to myself. I'm gonna keep that close to the vest. Oh, great! Look, I'm not trying to be a bastard, but I'm not volunteering to be given back to the Wild Hunt for the greater good. That's just not something I'm doing. Mick reaches up to rub at his temples and looks like he's thinking really hard about something. Alright, well, you've disrupted a major power structure, so they'll need a few days to get their shit together, as it were. By then you need to be gone, because they'll come here looking for you first, but if you can disappear and you have the shield and there's no trail to follow, you'll be safe, right? Damien kind of crosses his arms over his chest defensively and says, I mean, I'll leave tonight if that's what you're angling for. What? No! Do I look like some sort of heartless bastard to you? I'm not going to put you out on the street. I have a friend out of state that you can go stay with. Luke and Dahlia, you'll obviously have to go with him because you're involved and you don't want to be... questioned. Damien flinches at that, but does not say anything. Yeah, you get kind of a knowing look. And you won't need to worry about me running my mouth. I've been through more than one interrogation in the last few centuries, and I'm still here. If they come knocking at my door, I'll simply tell them I don't know where you are. I... Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, okay. You said we had a couple days. I think... I turn to Luke and Dahlia as I say this. We should try and, like, stock up on some supplies, just in case. I I need to go take my meds and sleep for at least ten hours. Perfectly understandable. Like I said, you've knocked the fake horts back on their heels, we have some time. I need time to get arrangements worked out. And whenever you need to leave, it's not that long of a drive to California, so... From over on the recliner, Luke's head snaps up. California! And almost over top of him, Dahlia perks up and looks really happy, big smile stretching across her face. Oh shit, are we going to stay with Santi? This rules. Uh, I look at Mick and I say, Hope your friend's not too close to any police stations. Luke's got arrest warrants for 
I don't know, public indecency and property destruction or whatever. Um, I'm gonna need you and Luke to just roll charm against each other right now. Yeehaw! I have a plus one, so that's good. Oh! Eleven, actually. Okay, and Luke got... An eleven. So you get basically nothing out of this next interaction. Other than that, I will say, you notice that Luke looks way more freaked out than he did when he was telling you about the arrest warrants before, the last time you went over the California state line. He looks haunted by something. But then he shakes his head, stands up, and brushes his hands off on the front of his pajama pants. Yeah, uh, it's actually credit card fraud and Grand Theft Auto. They never booked me for peeing behind that dumpster. I'm gonna turn in. Yeah, cool, whatever. I turn to Dahlia and I say, Who the hell is Santi? Dahlia's, like, not even paying attention to her wounded hand anymore. You can see that she's pulled a phone out of her purse and is, like, frantically texting. Oh, he's a bear. You're gonna love him. I hate that I have to do this in this brave new world of ours. Do you mean bear like the animal? <laughs> no, I do not. Sick! I'm gonna leave the room, go back to the guest room I'm staying in, take my meds, and go the fuck to bed. Excellent. Our camera zooms out of Michael Darcy's penthouse as you and Luke go off to bed and Dahlia keeps texting and Mick looks like he wants to scream into a pillow, flies across the skyline of Las Vegas and zooms back in on the smoldering ruin of the Solstice Casino, in and in and in to a pile of ashes. And then Leslie Jordan's hand shoots out of the wreckage. Kaylin, we find you in your living room, surrounded by injured friends, having recently died in a Quiznos, looking at your sister, who has just barged in and dropped her bag on the floor, and is staring at the rest of you incredulously. What are you doing? Looking around at the situation, deciding that I cannot handle it, and then walking back through the kitchen and out onto the back porch to start chain-smoking. Alice follows you through the little tiny hallway between the living room and the kitchen, through the kitchen, out the back door, just yelling, Kay! Kaylin! What? She already has a cigarette lit before she walks out the back door. <laughs> she pauses. Steps out onto the back porch, closes the sliding door behind her very calmly, and then whips around to look at you and goes, What? What do you mean, what? There's- Lydia is, like, half passed out on our couch with two strangers who look like they just went two rounds with Mike fucking Tyson. You are covered in blood. And the last time I heard any actual relevant information about what was going on in your life, you were chasing a delusion out into the fucking desert. What do you mean, what? You what? Kay takes a monumental drag off their cigarette, blows it out in her face, and goes, Alright, first of all, I'm gonna need you to not come at me with that energy. Second of all, it is a really long story. Even though the story's only about three, four days long at this point. Ellis O'Connell is so unbelievably 
frustrated and angry and confused and stressed out that she is, like, vibrating. She just puts her hands out like she wants to strangle you and makes an inarticulate noise, just goes, Fascinating. Tell me more. Kay has no idea why she is being so mean to her, but it just feels like an instinct. You're not there anymore. You are still on the porch, though. It's not super late at night. Ellie is standing in front of you, still looking very upset. You find yourself in the middle of a conversation as she is saying, You don't get to tell me I'm some heartless bitch just because I can face reality, Kaylin. He was my fucking brother, too. Kaylin, in this memory, is also chain-smoking and reaches out with her free hand to fucking shove her in the shoulder super hard. No. I get to call you a heartless bitch because I can do everything right. I can take all the pills. I can go to all the doctor's appointments. I can jump through every fucking hoop. And yet every time you take the easy way out, every time you take the option that you are given to tell me that I am crazy with impunity... And you're back. Ellie has fisted both hands in her hair and is just almost to herself going, Why do you make it so fucking hard to help you with anything? The whole family thinks you're off the rails. I told you before I went back to school that I was worried about you being here by yourself with nobody to check you, and then you disappear, and the next thing I know, this shit is happening. I- I- I died! Everything goes extremely still for a moment. Ellie takes her hands out of her hair, shakes them out, puts them at her sides, and then brings them back up to cross her arms over her chest. Okay, what are you talking about? Kay just shoves their arm out in front of her. Look at me. Touch me. I am cold. See if you can find a pulse. Tell me I'm hallucinating that. A few days ago, I woke up in a hole in the desert with no memories, and I was dead. Try to find a pulse and then tell me I'm crazy. The vibe you're getting as Ellie steps forward and grabs your wrist is very much that she's humoring you. And then she goes to check for a pulse. And very quietly, again almost to herself, she goes, What the and then grabs your other wrist and tries there. No, you know what? Go for the jugular. I've got a point to prove. She drops your hand like it burns. What? What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? She takes a step back, both hands up, and very suddenly she looks really, really young standing in front of you. I think Kay softens a little bit, seeing that she sort of backs down, takes a step back, takes another huge drag off her cigarette, but blows the smoke elsewhere. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but it is happening. And you calling my perspective into question is not going to help us figure out what's actually going on here. 
Ellie says nothing to that. She just sits down in one of the loungers on the porch and is just looking at you. Oh, good. I have your attention, finally. Let's get you up to speed, then. So, from my point of view, the last few days were full of confusion and frustration. After I made it back home, the entire family treated me with kid gloves, so at least this is a refreshing change of pace. Just for a minute, Ellis, put yourself in my shoes. You are me, you have nothing, you know nothing, and no one believes you. So the first person that does believe you, you... Go fight some sirens with. She puts her head in her hands and goes, Oh my god. Speaking of fighting sirens, I did die again? I got better. And if you don't feel inclined to believe me on that, I've got a couple witnesses inside that you might be more willing to listen to. So this is happening, which is why I am begging you to hear me out on this. They pull their phone out and play one of the voicemails from Damien, because you said they worked in the house. I said you could see them in the house, yeah. You start playing it, and Ellie looks up at you, looks at your phone, squints, and then looks you in the face and says, About what? Kay stares at her biting back violence and starts playing the voicemail again. About the Damien thing. He's alive, or at least he was on the night that I drove off. As soon as you say the Damien thing, Ellie puts her head back in her hands and just goes, Jesus, I don't want to have this fight again. Why are you shutting me down about all this? It's right here. You can hear it. You're not fucking playing anything. I... She looks down at her phone to see what she can see. You're definitely playing this voicemail. You've played it like six times. The fucking timing bar is going on the screen. They pause the voicemail, kill the rest of their cigarette with like the third hit and light another one off the butt and then just whip back around to stare at Ellis. Okay, look, I am a walking corpse, okay? That is verifiable fact. The weirdest possible thing that could happen has already happened, so why are you doubting me on all the other shit? She steeples her fingers and closes her eyes for a second like she is praying for patience, and then mockingly says, Oh, you know other planets exist, and yet you don't believe my alien abduction story, Ellis. Very interesting. I'm very smart. You are looking at a zombie and have never seen our brother's body. Like, if you want to go toe-to-toe logically, we can do it. No, I've never seen a body, and yet everyone who isn't having delusions on the regular agrees that if it walks like a suicidal 16-year-old and talks like a suicidal 16-year-old... <laughs> you know, how is it that I don't remember anything before waking up in the middle of nowhere and I somehow still knew that you were going to try to pull the delusional card? Why don't you go inside and ask Lola and Lydia what's been going on? For all it's worth at this point, you'll probably write it off and say it's a folie à toi. Oh, fuck off, Kay. I told you I didn't want to have this fight again, and every single time, you drag me back into it, and then I'm the bad guy for pointing out that you're behaving... Ugh. 
Well, then maybe you should fuck off. I didn't ask for whatever kind of help that you're bringing to the table, and clearly nothing I say is going to change your mind. They stub their cigarette out and just storm back off inside. You turn around and Lola is standing just inside the sliding door with her hand on the handle, grimacing. Kay, like, freezes for a second and then jerks her head backwards to where Ellie is still standing on the porch. Yeah, anyway, that's my sister. I get the feeling that this is kind of normal. Lola looks pained and just says, I didn't want to interrupt your conversation, but I didn't want to leave without saying anything. Um, I'm going to take Camille to the ER and then we're going back to our hotel. Oh, uh, yeah, you should do that. Is Lydia conscious right now? She is still grimacing. She just goes, yeah, yeah, she's conscious. I'm so sorry. Well, something, something, clouds and silver linings, at least I won't be here alone with her. Have a safe trip. So, Damien, you end up sleeping for closer to 24 hours than anything else. Which, you know, understandable. But when you do finally wake up in this guest room you've been staying in, it is dark outside again. And from somewhere else in this penthouse, you can hear and smell somebody cooking eggs. I would gather that you're probably pretty hungry, bud. What would you like to do? I'm gonna get up and go get myself some breakfast, I guess. As you make it into the kitchen, you are accosted with the sight of Michael Darcy with a frilly little apron tied over his smoking jacket and silk pajama pants, making a whole ass frittata. Important question, does it seem like he actually knows how to cook? Because if not, I'm gonna step in. Oh, he very extremely knows how to cook. This is like the nicest looking frittata you've ever seen. For someone who apparently himself does not need to eat things that are not other people's anxiety, he's put on quite a bit of a breakfast spread. There's the frittata, there's like a pan of potatoes sitting on the counter, there's toast, there's a Vitamix whirring in the background. He leans over to check something that's apparently in the oven and sees you and breaks out into this big, pointy-toothed smile. Well, hello there, sleepyhead. Frittata for your agonies. Uh, sure? I'm gonna sit down at the kitchen island and, like, cautiously grab something to eat. It's, like, stupid good. You realize that you haven't really eaten much in, like, three days. I think you're having a very intimate moment with a plate of breakfast potatoes when Luke and Dahlia walk in, both also bleary-eyed and still in their pajamas. Luke doesn't even say good morning, he just, like, unhinges his jaw and shoves a piece of toast in their hole. Dahlia doesn't really bother with the food, you just see her go over to the fridge and get one of her little blood Capri Sun bags out of there and start slurping on it as she sits down next to you at the table. Mick takes his apron off and dusts himself off very primly, looking around at the three of you. And if anyone cares, I'm feeling a mite peckish, so if you'd like to rave about my cooking, or perhaps share your woes, that would be appreciated. If not, no worries, I can just go down to the lobby bar, plenty of big feelings down there at 8pm on a Tuesday. 
All right. I attempt to summon up a strong emotion through the burnout and just like point with my fork and go, it's a really good frittata, Mick. Sadly, you find that your next bite of the frittata you enjoy a little bit less. But Mick does perk up and you see his red eyes flash in kind of a weird way. Mmm. Muted excitement with subtle notes of cynicism on the back. Delicious. What can I say? I'm a giver. I continue shoveling food in my mouth because I would eat cardboard right now. No, don't get it twisted. It's not a bad frittata. You just notice that it's not as good as you just told Mick it was. Mm. Anyway, um, have you heard anything from your friend in California? What are we doing? So, Michael opens his mouth to answer you, but as soon as the word California leaves your mouth, across the table, Luke straight up chokes on his toes. <coughs> yeah, about that, um, nothing to be concerned about, just want to get my ducks in a row. What part of California are we headed to? Mick gives him kind of a weird look, but eventually answers. Uh, sunny Los Angeles. Speaking of which, Dahlia, I've taken the liberty of going to the Costco and buying you a flat of bulk sunscreen. Please take it all with you. The conversation steers off into the realm of the mildly ridiculous, but you notice that Luke looks like fully checked out from it. He's just staring at the surface of the table. I'm gonna try to spoon catapult an olive right between his eyes because I'm a good friend. You know what? I'm not gonna make you roll to kick some ass for this. I don't want to kick him while he's down. We'll just say that you nail him in the forehead with the olive and he sort of jumps, looking affrighted. Ah, what? Ah, you good? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. if I was any better, I couldn't stand it. Um, that breakfast was kind of heavy, though. I'm gonna go get some air, walk it off. And with such a quickness that he trips over the two long pajama pants that he borrowed from Mick, he gets up from the table and fucking dips out onto a balcony outside the penthouse. Huh. Okay, does it seem like if I follow him out there, it will be bad? He's very hard to read as he walks out. Like, there was that lapse there at the table, but you're not really sure how it would go, honestly. Okay, if I think there is even the slightest possibility that it is going to turn into a confrontation, I will not go out there, so I turn back to the conversation that Dahlia and Mick are having. That conversation has also mostly died. They're both kind of staring after Luke in the same sort of awkward way that you are. But eventually Mick just shakes his head, reaches inside his frilly apron, and produces a pair of pretty old-looking car keys that he tosses down on the table between the two of you. Your vehicular transport, with untraceable tags, I assure you. At any rate, I'm going to go get Dahlia packed up, and we'll see where things go from there. Okay, I'm gonna turn to Dahlia and go, Alright, so, besides being a bear, uh, what's the deal with the guy we're going to stay with? Dahlia finishes her blood bag with a slurp and just chucks the empty plastic down on the table. Oh yeah, Santi, he's really cool. Um, so you've met Flora May, right? Yeah, mean lady that gave me a haircut. I'm familiar. 
Okay, so she was just the first of several of Mick's friends. Look, I don't have a more polite way to say this. The old man's got a problem. He sees a queer in distress and goes, Oh, well, it's time to turn them into a vampire now. There's six of us just in America, and that's not counting Octavia yet. So Mick met Santi back in the 50s, I think. And he lived here with the gang for a pretty long time. Decided to move back to L.A. after his last remaining sister finally kicked the bucket, and I met him the last time he came to visit. But yeah, he's a big sweet cinnamon bun of a man. He's great. And he lives in a super interesting part of L.A., so that's gonna be really fun. And Dahlia just starts going off on a tangent with tons of factoids about the L.A. area. I let all of these factoids wash over me for a minute, and then when she pauses for breath, I say, So I'm guessing you're from L.A.? She gets a sour look on her face. Uh, no. I spent a lot of time as a teenager in Pasadena, which is not something anybody should do. Uh-huh. I'll take your word for it. Good, you should always do that, because I'm always right. In the background of this conversation, you notice that Michael has dragged a couple of what are definitely Dahlia's suitcases out into the living room. One is shaped like a coffin, and another one has little bats all over it. And he just unzips one, and you see him reaching over into an industrial-sized flat of sunscreen and just loading bottle after bottle after bottle after bottle into the bag very methodically. Yeah, I have basically no shit. I'm gonna see if I can find, like, a plastic bag that I can shove my meds into. Okay, yeah, you dig through the kitchen, under the counters, through all of Mick's anachronistic collectibles. You find one of those reusable grocery store bags tucked behind a toaster from the 1920s. Are you gonna take your new suit with you? Oh yeah, I do have a single other outfit now. (laughs) I will do that. Okay, when you make it back out with your stuff, Dahlia is all packed up and sort of swirling the car keys around one finger. So, um, we should probably go talk with Luke about transportation, because I don't know how to drive, and I've got a deep feeling in my gut that says I shouldn't trust you with a motor vehicle. I can drive, thank you very much. I I don't have my glasses, though, so yeah, let's talk to Luke. I told you, I'm always right. You two walk over to the sliding glass door that leads out onto this balcony where Luke is, and open it up. He is pacing along the railing overlooking the cityscape of Las Vegas at night, with a cell phone pressed up to his ear. And for a minute, it seems like he doesn't know you're there. You just hear him carrying on this conversation that he's having. Just wanted to let you know that I'll be in the area, you know, if you want to meet up and get lunch or something. What? No, no, listen. (sighs) Becca, I'm fine. I don't need money or anything, I just wanted to- What, I can't check in on my sister without having some kind of ulterior motive? I- 
Pex, I just want to have lunch. I'll even buy. Okay. Okay. Relax. I told you I'm fine. You know what? Forget that I even brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Becca. Happy belated birthday. How have you been? He goes to turn at one end of the balcony, sees you and Dahlia, and his eyes go wide. Ah, shit. I've got to go. I love you. Bye. And he hangs up the phone super quickly. Hey, we, uh, getting ready to head out? Uh, yeah, you mind driving? He still looks really freaked for a second, but then blinks, composes himself, and reaches out to take the keys from Dahlia's outstretched hand. Yeah, fine. I mean, if we're gonna be going headfirst into a shit show, I'd at least like to have my hands on the wheel. So, okay, we pick back up with you on Wednesday morning. I'm going to make the assumption that you have been spending the last 24-ish hours avoiding your sister like the plague. That assumption is absolutely correct. Kay has no idea how to deal with another person being in her house, so I think they've just been holed up in their room this entire time. I think Lydia threw you a bone a couple of times and asked you to drive her places, given that she can't drive with a concussion. And Ellie spent a lot of Tuesday sleeping, given that she came in pretty late in the early morning and had been on a greyhound for quite a while. So, your schemes have worked. (laughs) You get a text from Lola Tuesday afternoon that reads, So, the insurance company called Camille's parents. They want her home now, driving back to LA. And then a peace sign emoji. Damn. Can't have shit in Las Vegas. Alright, well now in addition to lurking, Kay is also sulking. Yeah, but Wednesday rolls around, and you get a text from your cousin Carrie that reads, Hey, your appointment's at 12, what time do you want me to pick you up? Okay. I, Barry the player, remember that Kay had a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, but I don't think she does. She answers the text with just, like, three question marks. So, we find you inside your cousin Carrie's car. Ellie has tagged along and is sitting in the back seat. You've taken shotgun. On your way to a doctor's appointment that your uncle made because what else was he supposed to do? Kay just has their head leaned against the window, staring longingly at incoming traffic. Alright, I have several points to make here. First of all, this entire appointment is redundant. I've already been seen by a medical professional who has confirmed that I am indeed dead. Second of all, Carrie, while I'm sure this was an Uncle Drew thing and not a you thing, I don't really appreciate the insinuation that I need a chauffeur. I do have a driver's license. And third of all, Ellis, I'm not sure what you're still doing here. Like, in a broad sense. Ellie flips you off (laughs) 
and says, I live here? Well, yeah, as unsettling as that might be, don't you have, like, school? Well, my sister's a zombie, so I think I can take makeup finals. You know, I think that's an excused absence. Carrie very cheerfully kind of smacks the steering wheel and says, Okay, ladies, <laughs> let's be civil in my car. You can fight when we get there. And then she turns to you and says, I have an appointment too, and Dad thought you probably didn't remember where the office was, given the amnesia thing. Kay opens her mouth to admit that she doesn't remember where the office is, but then closes it, scowls, and crosses her arms over her chest. Just full, sullen silence the rest of the way there. You pull up to a medical office building. Ellie is shadowing you up to the door, also sullenly silent. (laughs) Carrie is not paying attention to either of you, just heads on up to the doors, looks at the directory, and kind of gives you a wave and says, Okay, uh, I'm out. Good luck. If you want to stick around for a ride home, feel free. If not, catch you later. And she heads off, following a sign that points towards, apparently, an OBGYN's office. Uh, I'm gonna walk over to the directory, realize far too late that I did not ask Carrie what my doctor's name was, and then stand there looking confused because I'm not going to ask my sister. From behind you, Ellie says, It's on the third floor. I'm getting lunch. And then you hear footsteps walking away behind you. Victory. I'm gonna go try to find an elevator. Alright, you make your way up to the third floor. You are walking down a hallway when you hear a scrambling sound from behind a door. And then a door opens and someone says, Kaylin! I think I've surpassed my fight or flight response. I go directly to freeze. You hear footsteps on the linoleum as someone circles you, and into view comes a woman of native Hawaiian descent, not that much older than you, early 30s, with her hair tied back in a ponytail, wearing a very comfortable-looking pantsuit. She looks at you and then just kind of spreads her arms wide as if to say, what the fuck? So... Are we gonna talk? Are... Are you my doctor? She blinks a couple times and then says, Let's go to my office. This feels like a trap, but I'm unarmed and ill-prepared, so what choice do I have? I go with her. You follow this woman through a door that is labeled Dr. Melanie Akana, MD, LMHC. Uh, you don't know what that means. You start to be clued into what's happening here when you walk in and immediately see a whole bunch of mental health pamphlets on the wall. So, yeah, well, Kaylin doesn't remember much, but she does remember having a voicemail from her psychiatrist that she has not returned. They, like, cryptid pose in the lobby of this office and look over at this woman so apologetically. I got your voicemail. I am so sorry. I meant to call you back, but, like, a lot has been happening. Your psychiatrist nods and says, Yeah, I got that from context clues. I've had to talk to the police a few times the last couple of weeks. 
I have a free hour. Let's chat. The way she says it does not have the vibe of a suggestion. All right, well, at this point, it's a choice between having my mind prodded at, which is unpleasant, or going somewhere else and having my body prodded at, which has already been done. Yeah, I'll go sit in the office. You catch someone up on your whole fucking situation for, what, the seventh time in the last four days? Yeah, explaining the death and the amnesia and the lack of a pulse and all. Just run it back. Yeah, you get through the explanation and your doctor, she started out your whole speech chewing on the end of a pen. She has since dropped it, but she picks it back up off of her little clipboard writes something, and then says, Okay, so how how are you feeling about all this? Deceased. She writes something down and says, Okay, dark humor as a coping mechanism, good to know you're still in there, and then underlines something. Thank you, I'm here all week. Hopefully. Um... I actually have a couple questions that I could really use a psychiatrist's opinion on, if that's okay. She's still writing something on the clipboard, but says, shoot! So the thing with the amnesia is that it's not... It's not a total block, if that makes sense. I've been remembering things here and there, but it's weird. It's just like I'm not there anymore for a second, and I'm in the memory, and then I'm back, but given several diagnoses, I'm not sure how much I can trust the things that I remember. And I- She stops and realizes that she needs to talk very carefully around the arson and murder that she just did. I've, uh, had that happen with stuff going on around me in the present, too. Just weird hunches about things that turn out to be true. Oh, also my house is, like, super haunted. In a bad way. Ghost out the wazoo. She pauses, and then writes something else down, underlines it, and says, Okay, well, you have somewhat of a history of trauma blocking. Uh, We've discussed it before, uh, mostly in relation to your mother. So, we can try to unpack some of that in a future session that we can schedule today, if you'd like. Um... We've been talking about changing up your meds, but I don't think that's a great idea right now. Although I can add an anti-anxiety to the regimen if you would like. Yeah, that was another question that I had. Is any of that stuff going to work if I'm dead? Huh. I don't know. Cool. So you, like, can't tell me definitively whether I am or am not just out here raw-dogging my own hallucinations and delusions? I understand that uncertainty is very hard for you. We've talked before about how you really like it when people give it to you straight, so I'll just be up front. Uh, I've never had a client come back from the dead before. Yeah, you like probably haven't been out of school that long, right? Given your age, I'm probably your first professional curveball. Yeah, and your situation was a little complicated before the resurrection, so... What I can do is we can up your meds if you'd like, and I can prescribe something for anxiety because it seems like you're dealing with a lot of that right now. 
if you'd like, I can give you your file, since this seems like way more trauma-blocking than you're used to. Well, I don't sleep anymore, so I guess it'll be fascinating bedtime reading for tonight. Do you want a refill on your sleep aid? I emphatically do not. Anyway, go ahead and up the meds. I just need to know if they actually do work. Is it going to be enough to, like, turn me into an actual zombie? We're going to try to avoid that, but I wouldn't do anything too ambitious for the next couple of weeks. Do you have anything going on that I should know about? Okay, just as a baseline, I think Kay likes and trusts this lady, but not enough to own up to the whole I am searching for my dead brother thing, because that is the thing that literally every person she is close to has called her insane over since she got resurrected. So they just give Dr. Arcana a very tight smile and go, I'm working at a laundromat. That'll work. And then she writes a couple things down, gets up and goes to a file cabinet, and comes back with a prescription slip and a file that has your name on it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> next time we talk is gonna be really interesting, huh? Yeah, probably. I have, like, 15 minutes left on my lunch break or I would unpack more of this. That's fine. I apparently have some errands to run. I don't remember much, but I am still capable of basic deduction. I'm willing to bet that I'm probably on first-name basis with every pharmacist from here to the Strip, right? Smart bet. Your preferred pharmacy's in your file. Oh, alright. Um, thank you, and I'm so sorry about all this. Next time we're gonna talk again about the over-apologizing. Right, yeah, I'm sorry. Wait! Goodbye! Goodbye. I leave. With a quickness, I leave. So, here's the thing. Kay does not want to look at this file right now because her brain is not doing so hot. She also vehemently does not want to talk to her sister about anything that just went down. So I think what happens is she just walks downstairs to the bottom of this medical office building, sends Ellie a text that says, I have work, catch a ride home with Carrie, and then goes outside and flags down a taxi that she pays for with some of the cash that she stole from the dead sirens, and goes to the laundromat. Okay. When you walk in, it is, as per usual, not busy. And Bev is filing her nails behind the counter. Kay sort of shuffles their feet in the doorway and looks down at the floor. Hi. Bev raises an eyebrow at you and says, Hi. Some concert, huh? <laughs> oh god, you have no idea. Oh, okay. Look, I get that I am probably either extremely late or extremely early for my shift. My psychiatrist has told me that I apologize too much for things, but I feel like that does merit an apology. I mean, you don't have a real schedule right now. I don't. That's kind of a weird thing to have happen in a job, right? Do you want a schedule? I do not, for so many reasons. Look, I am... Um... 
I have a lot of reasons for not wanting to be stuck at my house right now. I know I don't have my uniform or my name tag, but is it okay if I just clock in and wash some clothes? Eh, sure. You want to take the hand wash stuff in the back? Fine, sure. I would take walking barefoot over broken glass before talking to my sister right now. Oh, is Ellie home already? Tell her Bev says hi. I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) And then I walk to the back to go look at the hand wash stuff. As you're walking, a stereo on the counter gets slowly turned up until the entire laundromat is blasting ABBA at you. You've said about hand-washing a bunch of these clothes. There's actually a surprising amount of stuff back here. You know that, like, hand-washed things would be a very small percentage of a laundromat's business, but, like, there's a lot of stuff, despite how few people you've seen in here, and the fact that no one except for you and Bev appears to work here. But you start mowing through it. It takes a good few hours. You're scrubbing a grease stain out of a flowery patterned dress that smells like lavender and grandma's. When something weird starts to happen. You've got both hands in the utility sink with this dress, just scrubbing at it. And the water sputters a little. You go to turn it off because the sink's about full anyway. You're scrubbing. You're looking at the water and you think it's just a trick of the light at first, but it's starting to go a little bit pink. The dress you're scrubbing at is yellow and green. But as you're scrubbing at it, threads of red start to spider out of it and around your fingers like they're tugging at you. You're scrubbing, the water's getting pinker. You can feel the level of it rising against your arms, even though you turned the faucet off. And it's getting redder and redder, and you are still scrubbing at this dress, trying to ignore it, until the basin starts to overflow, crimson red, onto the floor around you. Okay, I think when that happens, it conjures up a very unpleasant memory of the blood fountain in the ashtray on Kay's back porch, so she immediately jumps back and flattens herself against the opposite wall, and she's gonna try to reality check herself. They just pull their phone out, take a picture of the sink, flip the camera around, take a selfie to see if there's any blood on their clothes. Yeah, this is one of the oldest tricks you know, obviously. You pull out your phone, point it at the sink, expecting to just see a utility sink full of water and one dress. And as you point it at the sink, you see in the camera this tide of red gushing out of the sink and across the floor, getting darker and thicker. I think just mechanically, you hit the button to reverse the camera, and you see that there is a spreading pink and red stain going down your shirt. Bev? 
the music out in the rest of the laundromat cuts suddenly. And Bev comes running in almost too fast and skids to a stop in this back room, taking in you and the blood pooling on the floor. And she, of all things, just sighs. Kay is freaking out. They go to, like, tangle their hands in their hair, feel how sticky they are, and then immediately rip them away and just start flapping them at their sides. Sorry to interrupt Abba's greatest hits, but what the fuck is that? Bev doesn't even look confused. She just looks bummed. She sighs again, walks over to the sink, doesn't pay attention to the pool of blood on the laundromat floor, and peeks in at the dress that's in there. That's Mrs. Monaghan. Her son's been bringing herself up here from Shady Acres for years because she doesn't trust the home to do her laundry. Sweet old lady. Guess the Alzheimer's is getting the best of her. Kaylin is still just flattened against the back wall of this room, blood-stained hands shaking as she looks down at them and back up at Bev. <laughs> no, no, I'm... I'm hallucinating right now. I need you to just tell me that I'm hallucinating right now. Bev clicks her tongue and then plunges a hand into the sink full of blood and pulls up the stopper. Well, it'd probably be easier if you were. Can you go ahead and get the master's key out of the office and go empty the quarters out of the dryers? I've got this one. Don't gotta tell me twice. Going. Going. Before they get to the office, they are gonna stop at whatever, like, bathroom or other sink there is and, like, scrub up to their elbows until their skin goes pink and raw. And then she walks up to the front of the laundromat where she has left her psychiatry file and new prescription sitting on the front desk. Flips it open, finds the pharmacy that Dr. Akana mentioned, and calls in just to make sure that they are filling that upped dosage of medication. Damien, we pick up with you in the back of a truly magnificent seafoam green vintage Volkswagen bus. It's been super well taken care of, still has the original interior, it has a peeling I Heart Woodstock sticker on the rear bumper. It was parked right next to the limousine in the parking garage back in Vegas, and Michael Darcy handed you over the keys for this thing without so much as a goodbye before he disappeared back inside. You are currently on Interstate 15. You passed the California state line a little bit ago. You're headed out through the high desert now. Not much to look at outside the windows except for sand and sagebrush and other cars on the road. Luke is in the driver's seat, looking increasingly uncomfortable with every mile, and you and Dahlia are in the back in this kind of curved seat wrapped around a little Formica-topped kitchenette table. This thing is 
well taken care of, but extremely dated. Like, it's got wall-to-wall shag carpeting in it still. What are you doing? At my core, all I am and all I will ever be is an annoying kid brother. So I'm playing Punch Buggy. With Dahlia? Yeah. Okay. You wait until you see a VW bug on this stretch of the interstate and fully slug Dahlia in the shoulder, and she whips around and with her supernatural vampire strength gets you right back. It hurts like hell. How? No punchbacks. There is a long-suffering sigh from the front seat. (sighs) Can we not? With the road trip games, if you two are going to keep acting like children, I will turn this car around. If you two are going to keep acting like children, I'll turn the car around. I don't sound like that. Dahlia, who is turned around in her seat, looking out the back window, trying to catch sight of that Volkswagen bug again so she can punch you, grins and goes, Oh, I mean, we can switch it up, Luke. How about we play 20 questions? I raise my eyebrows at her, like, are we doing this, or... She turns around long enough to wink at you. I nod and then say, yeah, first question, who were you on the phone with earlier? From the angle you're at, you're just looking at the back of Luke's head, so you can't see his face, but his body language goes very tense, and you watch his neck kind of twitch to the side a little bit. Oh, that? No worries. I was just talking to Shirley. I'm not gonna give you the satisfaction of playing into this punchline. That's a shame. It was really good. It was surely you're not giving me the shakedown while I'm driving your ass to the nearest safe haven. Point taken. He still looks really tense, and a long silence falls over the interior of this bus. But eventually, he jumps into the passing lane to get around a semi-truck in front of you, and sort of drums his hands uncomfortably against the steering wheel. I was talking to my sister, alright? She lives in the area of where we're headed, and I haven't seen her in years, and we didn't part on the best terms. And I didn't want to tell you guys, because... I get that the big Faye shit show is the important priority right now, but also, like, I'm allowed to extend the olive branch, right? Like, I'm allowed to take my one in a million shot to be a decent person, okay? Damien grimaces and then looks sideways at Dahlia and kind of makes a throat-cutting motion. Luke makes kind of a complicated expression and just reaches down to start fiddling with the gear shift. Anyway, despite the fact that that's not how you play 20 questions, I understand that you don't get anything in this world without some kind of equivalent exchange, so how's this? If you two will hop off my dick, I will pull off at the next 76 and get you a couple of Mad Libs books to keep you occupied. Well, now you've created a challenge where we're just going to find all the dirty ones and we're going to put Luke for every noun. I've been part of enough non-fictional dirty stories that a couple fictional ones won't bother me nearly as much as people nosing into my personal life, so... Yo, what the hell? He straight up abandons that train of thought, and you feel the bus slow down quite a lot. 
And as you look up ahead of you, you see that I-15 is backed up. It's like standstill traffic. Yeah, I'm gonna pop my head over the front seat and try to look at whatever's going on in front of us. Just a complete halt in the traffic. The cars are piled up in front of you, out to the horizon as far as you can see. But it's strange, because you don't see any evidence of a car accident, or something blocking the road, or any reason for traffic to be backed up like this. And I'm not sure how extensive Damien's amnesia is, because a lot of it is kind of based around just, like, specific names of things. But you grew up in Vegas. You know that the stretch of interstate from Vegas to L.A. is really only busy, like, on Sundays and Mondays when the weekend trippers are all going home. So, yeah, this is weird. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, Can I roll to read a bad situation? Yes, please do that for me. Okie dokie, and I got plus one to sharp. Seven, respectable. Alright, so you only get one question off the list. I advise you to make it count. Okay, um, it seems like the most relevant one is, are there any dangers we haven't noticed? You could say that, yeah. Luke sort of has the energy of, like, a dad driving back from vacation when you hit really bad traffic. He's just sort of generally irritable and yelling at all of the other cars around you. But you and Dahlia both sort of clamber forward to get a look out the windshield and see what's going on. And next to you, you hear Dahlia suck in a breath. <sighs> hey guys, Wild Hunt, 10 o'clock. I'm gonna follow her eyeline immediately. This is the most light that you've ever seen the Wild Hunt in. It's not quite sunset yet, the sun is still sinking over the horizon to the west. And it makes them ten times more terrifying. Up ahead of you, in the lanes of stopped traffic, these creatures in western shirts and blue jeans and cowboy hats are prowling, and they almost blended into the night when you saw them before. But with the extra light around you, you can see that everything that is not covered by clothing on them is just a deep black void, save for the glowing eyes peeking out over the bandanas wrapped around what should be their faces. They look like shadows made solid, backlit through the sunset as they wander back and forth between these cars. Off to the side of the road, in the median between I-15 West and I-15 East, you see all of those horrible misshapen horses and Sleipner-like coyotes with extra legs prowling back and forth, yipping and salivating. And you watch them start to take people out of their cars. The hunters moving back and forth across this gridlocked interstate are all on foot, and at first seemingly at random, you'll watch them just reach into a car and yank someone out, dragging them across the road and passing them off to the riders waiting in the median. And then you realize that it's not random at all, because every femme-presenting person that they pull out of these cars 
has red curly hair. And every mask presenting person that they pull out of these cars from a distance could probably pass for Luke or you. So what are you doing? I am clutching the she shield and very nervously saying Okay. Um they they can't track us. They can't see us. I I I don't you see Luke's hands go white-knuckled on the steering wheel as he finally looks over and sees what's going on. Yeah, you're right, but, uh, with traffic packed this tight, they don't have to see where we are. They're gonna see where we're not. You think we're close to an exit? Yeah, we're right next to one. Seatbelts, everybody. Yep, I'm gonna throw myself back onto the bench and click my seatbelt. So, the high desert in California is extremely flat. It's just basically the road ends and the sands begin. There's not a guardrail on this part of the interstate. Luke just fucking floors it out of the slow lane and across the desert in this 1960-something Volkswagen bus. I'm gonna have him act under pressure to get you guys the fuck out of here. Um, Luke does have the driver move on his Crooked playbook, which means that, um, relevant to this situation, he gets plus one ongoing while driving, just as a baseline. So he's actually gonna roll this with plus three. Twelve. So, on a twelve plus, he can do either what he wanted to do and something extra, or do what he wants to absolute perfection. I think he's gonna do something extra. He's gonna hit one of the wild hunt riders on the way off the interstate. Okay, I think if we're moving towards any of them, Damien shrieks and, like, flails to grab Dahlia's hand. He's not paying attention to you. He is letting out this guttural battle cry as he floors it off the interstate. There's a wild hunt rider up ahead of you who's, like, fighting to tug this redheaded lady out of a car with her husband, and Luke just mows him down. He, like, flies up onto the hood, cracks the windshield, and then rolls over the top of the bus and just hits the dust behind you. I am moving as far away from wherever this Wild Hunt rider falls off of the car as is possible with my seatbelt on, and just yelling top of my lungs, Do you not think that was a little obvious? Everybody in this bus is yelling. Luke is still letting out this war cry. You are screaming. Dahlia is screaming while squeezing your hand back super hard and then leans forward with her other hand to just smack Luke upside the back of the head as hard as she can. You jackass! You all are burning rubber across this unpaved, sandy ground. You can hear the engine of the bus whine in protest, and, like, something makes a weird cracking noise. And Luke just reaches up one hand to shove Dahlia off of him and keeps driving. Don't worry about the wild hunt. I've never been caught doing a hit and run. Well, we can't take it back now! Just fucking drive! You and Dahlia and Luke go off into the sunset, off-roading in a vintage Volkswagen bus. 
leaving a sea of absolute carnage behind you. So, you know, it's Tuesday. (laughs) Kaylin, it's been a few days since we last saw you. Your upped prescription is going about as well as it could be expected. You have gotten several texts from Lola, who is safely back in California, including one notable one that was a video file of her lounging on a couch, as in the background, you just hear an older man's voice going, Did you hear what your daughter did? And then another second older man's voice going, Why is she always my daughter when she's in trouble? Okay, I think since the upped dosage kicked in, Kay's probably been doing a lot of sitting on the couch and watching mindless, easy-to-follow TV shows. So they get that text pretty quickly. Is Ellie still there? Ellie is, in fact, still there. She has firmly settled back into her room. A lot of the hours of the last few days when you are not at the laundromat have just been the two of you at home being awkward. Kay takes a selfie of them on the couch and Ellie, like, over her shoulder cleaning something and sends it to Lola with the caption, the greater and lesser Sapphicus Neuroticus in their natural habitat. Yeah, you and Lola are just carrying on uh, a text conversation throughout the last few days. Not anything deep, but just quick, how you doing, updates. Ellie's planning some kind of barbecue thing that she's inviting all of your friends over for. She didn't ask for your input on it. Then she better not be expecting my help. She doesn't seem like she's expecting your help with organizing anything. But she has specifically requested that you come grocery shopping with her. Ah. Fine. Yeah, Ellie comes and peels you off the couch and requests that you go clean out the car because, I quote, Look, you're not super great to drive, but I'm not driving unless you clean out whatever fast food graveyard is going on in there. It's not a graveyard, Ellie. I'll thank you to not imply that I live in filth. Kay goes outside to the garage because there is actually a fast food graveyard in the Cutlass. Yeah, and in addition to that, you've got some bloodstains in there from the Siren Adventure and a duffel bag of ill-gotten cash and a guitar in the trunk. Yeah, and I don't really want Ellis seeing those things. Kay grabs a trash bag, cleans out the car, gets rid of all of the half-eaten burritos that are probably mostly calcified at this point. And then, very quickly, before Ellie can come out to check on them, they're going to try to find somewhere in the garage to hide this duffel bag full of cash. Okay, um... (laughs) Can you roll to act under pressure for me, please? Oh, I'm bad at that! (laughs) Seven! Okay. You look around this horrible hoarder's nest of a garage. You are surrounded by broken furniture and old toys, and you see 
up against a wall, surrounded by detritus. One of those old, like, craftsman toolboxes. You know, the big red ones? Like the rolling ones with all the drawers and stuff? Yeah, the ones that are, like, full cabinet-sized. Okay, well, like, those have a big bottom drawer on them. That would be about duffel bag size. Indeed it would. Does Ellie seem like she likes tools? Because, like, that might be a dangerous place to hide it. You can't make that call because you don't remember enough about your sister. You know that your father did a lot of, like, work with tools. You have, like, you've had some flashbacks of him, like, working on the car. And, like, the cutlass still runs, so obviously your father worked with tools a lot. This particular toolbox is so surrounded by junk that, like, you would be surprised if Ellie could get to it. You think you're gonna have trouble getting to it because of all the junk, and you are a significantly slighter person than Ellie is? Like, you're taller than she is, but Ellie's a big, hefty girl. Okay, cool. I'm climbing over the mountain of shit and just yanking open the bottom drawer of this thing and shoving my duffel bag in there. The drawer opens with a loud squeal. Ah, I start coughing to cover it. (coughs) Distantly, you hear, Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Uh, A moth flew into my mouth and I choked on it and then I fell into the Volkswagen. In a truly biting commentary on your character and the things that happened to you, Ellie does not respond to this. Shoving the duffel bag in. I'm shoving it in. I'm getting out of there. Okay. Um, I will say, in this big drawer, there are no tools, which is weird, given that that's what this cabinet is for. There is another duffel bag already in there. (laughs) Fucking what? It is covered in dust. You pull it up. It's got, like, a little stitched D.O. in it, and inside you find... Like, $200 more in cash. A 90s Tamagotchi, like, recognizably 90s. It has, like, the bowling alley carpet pattern on it. A fake ID with a picture of your Uncle D with, like, a bad mustache. Very clearly, like, in his late teens. But the ID says that he's 25. And a small baggie full of cocaine that has burst all over the bottom of the duffel bag. I know I've interacted with Uncle Damien's ghost before. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I gotta play my character. Kay reaches very carefully around the cocaine as much as she can, takes out the cash, shoves it in her wallet, looks wildly around over her shoulder, and says to no one, This isn't grave robbing, I'm also dead. And then slams the door shut and runs back for the car. Okay. You have, as far as you can tell, successfully hidden this cash in a place where your sister will not be able to ask you questions about it. You go ahead and clean all the trash out of the car. I don't know what you're planning on doing about the bloodstains or the guitar. I mean, there might be some kind of, like, bottle of stain dissolver or something out here, but our laundry's not out here, so... I think I'm just gonna have to let those bloodstains speak for themselves. 
Yeah, uh, you take a second look at them, and, like, you find that they don't all precisely match what you would expect from your massive nosebleed and Lydia having a gash all across her face the other night. So some of these are, it seems, pretty old and haven't been taken care of. And those are just the stains on this upholstery that are recognizably blood. It doesn't feel worth it. Okay, I have a scheme vis-a-vis the guitar. And if I fuck it up, it's gonna go just so bad, but if I get it right, it'll be great. You said before that the garage has, like, a man door going out into the backyard, right? Yes, there is a door going out into the backyard. It's never locked because... It's the only way into the backyard that isn't through the house, and, like, the garage door itself locks, um, and there is a hole in this door, but it's there. Okay, I'm slinging the guitar, I'm assuming it has a strap on it, over my shoulders, like, across my back, and I'm gonna go out into the backyard. Does the back porch have a roof? Yep. Are there windows into either my bedroom or Damien's bedroom over that roof? Yes, there are. Obviously, there aren't windows on the sides of the house, because one side is up against the Antonov's unit in the townhouse, and, like, the other side has the stairs and everything on it. So, like, the windows that face out over the back porch are the only windows in your room or Damien's room. Okay, manifesting good results here. She's six and a half feet tall. This shouldn't be too difficult. Kay goes over and gets the porch furniture, drags it to, like, the edge of where the roof is, and is gonna try to hop up on the porch furniture, hop up onto the roof from there, and go in through her own bedroom window. Okay, roll to act under pressure again. Another seven. Okay. You feel, as you are dragging the porch furniture over to the edge of the roof so you can jump up, a distinct sense that this is, like, muscle memory. You've done this before. You get up onto the roof without any trouble. You do make a little bit of noise, I will say. And... More as you go to open your own bedroom window and remember that you have an entire, like, poisonous plant garden there on the windowsill. I went through the one I knew was gonna be unlocked! I don't know if Damien locked his window! No, yeah, for sure, but, like, you do have a bunch of garden planters (laughs) on the windowsill in your room. So I think... The sounds of you cursing to yourself and trying to move these garden planters. It's not quiet. It's not a quiet affair. (laughs) As soon as I have feet on the floor, I'm running. I'm sprinting to try to get this guitar, like, down the hall into Damien's room. Okay, yeah. The door from your room and the door from Damien's room are, like, literally three feet apart. It's not a long run. I don't even think you're, like, rationalizing it to yourself. Just like, oh yeah, there is already a guitar in Damien's room. This goes there. Sure. And also the fact that, like, Damien's room had been undisturbed for a very long time before you cleaned it out immediately post-resurrection. The moment you walk in there, you notice that that window is unlocked. And, like, 
There's nothing on this windowsill. Damien's bed is pushed up against the wall on that side. Uh. Hard times. But you walk in. I think you kind of put the guitar that you stole from the sirens down in the closet, like, a little bit behind the one that's already there. As you hear confused, irritated noises from downstairs as Ellie, like, wraps up whatever she was cleaning. (laughs) So, when you've been having, like, flashbacks since you got resurrected, it has been mostly, like, startling shifts in your perception. That's not what happens this time. You turn around and the room is basically the same but your brother 14 years old is sitting on the bed looking at a magazine cool great to know my meds are working exactly as intended i'm reality checking myself i'm pulling out my phone opening the camera and seeing what i see looking through your camera there's nobody on the bed but not through your camera this 14 year old version of your brother looks up Looks in your direction, but not at you. He's looking at the door to his room, which is a little bit to your left. Kind of raises his eyebrows and says, Don't look at me like that. I'm not actually looking at you at all. You're a hallucination, and that's a really weird attitude to cop with somebody that just brought you a present, BT Dubs. When he responds, it's very off. Like, he's clearly not responding to actually what you're saying. He holds up the magazine, waves it in the air a minute, and goes, Fantasizing about apology presents from the old man if he wins the lottery that he doesn't play. I'm gonna take a couple steps closer and try to get a look at the magazine. It's one of those, like, equipment issues that Guitar Center put out. He's got it closed as he's holding it up, but he puts it back down on the bed, and you see that the open page is on a picture of... Jimi Hendrix signature guitars. I'm reality checking myself again. I'm going to see if I can touch the magazine. Nope. Just bedspread under your fingers. (sighs) Okay, logically I know that I should be clambering out of the window at this point before Ellie comes upstairs to see what the commotion is, but... I think instead what Kay does is they walk over to the closet where they just stuffed that guitar pull it back out and just go and sit on the bed next to this vision of their brother with it stretching across both of their laps. Yeah, well, uh, your first mistake was counting on the old man for anything. But this will be here waiting for you when you get home. This hallucination, memory, whatever, of your brother is not looking at you He looks to his other side. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so fine. Maybe one day when my brother gets rich and famous and wins the Nobel Prize for GMOing a potato that can do nuclear fission or whatever. That's a weird joke that Kate doesn't remember enough about her own life to know how she should respond to it. She's confused and deeply sad. I think she just reaches down and tries to grab his hand. You do that, and your hand curls around the comforter. As this 
vision whatever of your brother leans toward you away from the other empty spot on his other side and laughs again and goes, Don't hit me! I'm fragile! Stop it! (laughs) And then stops looking at the door and says, Ellie, get out of my room! You look up and your sister is indeed standing in the doorway. How old is she? 20. And next to you, like a soap bubble popping, this vision of your brother disappears. Cool. So to Ellie, Kay's just sitting on their brother's long-abandoned bed where she was, like, in the garage a minute ago, with one fist balled up in the comforter, holding a Jimi Hendrix signature lefty guitar across her lap. Oh, this is great. Yeah, as you look up, in the split second before she processes that you are looking at her, she has this really sad, worried expression on her face. And then she swallows really hard, shakes her head, and says, Did you finally clean up in here? Uh, yeah, I had a, my brain is bad, I need the crisis clean moment right after I came back from the dead. Found some roach clips in here that were, like, made out of bobby pins. It was really impressive construction. Hey, did I ever work for Monsanto? What? Kay looks over to their other side at where this vision was sitting a second ago, and then just shakes their head. (laughs) Nothing, it's just I am... I'm getting memories back in flashes sometimes, and I remembered... Damien making this weird joke about me genetically modifying a potato. Ellie blinks a couple times and then says, Uh, no, yeah, you were, um, uh, you majored in biochem for the year of college that you did? (sighs) College dropout that lives with my ferrets and plays League of Legends all day. Truly, I am the scion of this family. Ellie opens her mouth, closes it, and then steps further into the room, cautiously. Did you come back in through the fucking window? When did you have time to go guitar shopping? Uh, internet? And, yeah, alright, I came in through the window because this was in the car, and I didn't want you to see it because you've been kind of touchy about the whole subject of (sighs) look else i've jumped through all the hoops i'm properly medicated she says with like big air quotes i've been and talked to my shrink i'm apparently not actually losing my marbles are you still not gonna believe me when i tell you that he's alive Ellie makes a face and then sits down on the bed, not next to you, along the side, closer to the headboard, picks up the pad of post-it notes off the nightstand and starts scribbling something on them. I believe that you believe that. Kaylin starts to get really angry for a second, but the amount of medication that she's on, I think, makes that feeling very dull and distant. And so rather than lashing out, they just kind of curl their hands into fists in their lap and stare at their feet. Yeah, well, it seems the, uh, 
only way we're going to get through this without killing each other is that we meet each other where we are and we don't ask too many questions. Anyway, I believe you said that there's a package of budget hot dogs on some shelf with our names on it. There's a pause and sounding extremely frustrated, Ellie says. Okay, I'm not a fucking monster, all right? I... I know you don't remember this, but I was fucking looking. I was looking and hoping and praying for weeks and months. <sighs> yeah, you know what? Let's just let's just go shopping. I'm gonna And she gets up and she heads out. Kay feels this desperate, enraged. Then why did you stop? Spark off somewhere deep in her chest, but it never quite makes it to her mouth. She's going to get up and follow Ellie out to the garage in absolute silence. You head out, you go into the garage, Ellie, like, fondly taps at the hood of the beetle, but does not suggest that you take it to the store, and hops in the driver's seat of the Cutlass, squints for a second, and then says, Is the fucking windshield cracked? Neighborhood hooligans. Damien, we pick back up right where we left off with you. You and your friends are off-roading through the desert in a Volkswagen bus, rattling over the sand and the stones and the occasional cactus. Luke is surprisingly calm for somebody who just committed vehicular manslaughter, but I can only assume that you and Dahlia are both freaking out. I mean, yeah, I don't feel good about it. Uh, I think I'm trying to, like, modulate my breathing and not freak out. Habit born of years of experience. Unfortunate, because beside you on the bench seat, strapped in very tightly, Dahlia is fully hyperventilating. You're in a very well-made, but also very old car. You can hear the frame of this Volkswagen bus creaking and protesting as you just go flat out across the desert. It is not a smooth ride. You're bouncing up and down in your seat. I hope you don't get carsick. As soon as it is evident that you have not been followed, the heavy, heavy silence in the car is broken by Luke going, all right, anybody want to listen to some tunes? And then he reaches down and flicks on the radio in this bus. Can we worry about getting back on the road first? Is that, like, a priority for you? We've still got the sun, and it's an all-roads-lead-to-Rome situation. If I keep driving west, I'm either going to hit L.A. or the ocean. I just don't want to drive with the soundtrack of you two losing your shit. Damien just makes a disgusted noise in the back of his throat and then looks at Dahlia. I think being touched is still a no-go for him, but he's gonna, like, knock his knee into hers in an attempt to be comforting. She doesn't turn away from the back window, but you do feel her kind of absently nudge you back as the radio in this bus comes to life with a hiss and a scream. It, you can tell it hasn't been turned on in a while. 
This vehicle was made in the 1960s, so, like, it doesn't have a scan button. Luke just reaches down and starts fiddling with a dial, like, steering with one hand and his knee, and you watch Dahlia go even more rigid beside you. Eventually, the static on the radio gives way to this very, like, bright soprano voice made extremely tinny by the old radio that you're listening to it on, and probably, like, a kind of shitty microphone. Welcome to the Jackalope, America's premier pirate radio station dedicated to exploring the unknown, the unexplained, and general weird shit. Urgent update? Apparently, some shit is going down on I-15 coming from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. Flaunting the authority of the California State Highway Patrol, the Wild Hunt seems to have set up their own checkpoint in the high desert, pulling people out of cars in standstill traffic seemingly at random. This reporter almost had to put all those hours at the range to the test, but, apparently, thankfully, I wasn't what they were looking for. So here's your friendly neighborhood catastrophist here at the Jackalope urging you all to stay off of I-15, and if you have to pack iron, make sure it's iron. And now, here's... And Luke switches the radio off. He looks mortified. He's just staring dead-eyed out the windshield. Yeah, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Moving on. The car lapses back into extremely uncomfortable silence, but after a while, you do finally hit a road. Luke is seeming to stick to his strategy of drive west, we'll figure it out, but after a couple miles on this stretch of road, it's like a little one lane on either side paved road through the middle of the desert. Luke taps the brakes a little bit to squint at a sign that you're passing and goes, Oh shit, I know where we are. Yeah, I think as we've been driving, I've still been just like stealing glances at Dahlia out of the corner of my eye, but I turn back to look at Luke and go, The fuck do you mean you know where we are? You can only see the back of his head and like the top of his torso, but he goes very rigid and you see him grip the steering wheel a little bit harder. Can't talk about it. Signed an NDA. Uh, but we're on a back road that will take us into Barstow eventually. And that's a pretty good thing. I think it goes without saying that it's a wise decision to stay the fuck off the interstate at this point. So if we're sticking to state roads and back roads, we could take the 247, go down through Big Bear into LA, I know that road pretty well, or we could head north and detour through Bakersfield, but that's gonna take hours and hours and hours. Uh, I mean, I've never been to any of those places, I've always just gone on the interstate, uh, I'm gonna turn back to Dahlia. Your vote? Dahlia finally turns around from staring out the back window and takes a big, deep, calming breath. <sighs> well, when I consider more hours than I have to be in a car with you idiots and having to be in Bakersfield. <sighs> she shakes herself like a wet dog. And the 247... Yeah, I've been up to Big Bear a couple times. There's a lot of winding back-ass mountain roads that we could disappear up if anything goes wrong, at least. Okay. Uh, yeah, sounds good. 
Another sort of uncomfortable silence descends across the car as you make your way down this back road into the town of Barstow, California. This whole town is a liminal space. You can tell that it is just a pit stop on the 15 between LA and Vegas. Like, it's big, but it looks like its entire purpose was to be stopped in and then moved on. As you emerge out of the desert in this vintage Volkswagen bus, Damien, your stomach growls super loud, like really loud. (laughs) And Luke, without really looking over the driver's seat, goes, I mean, if we're gonna stop to eat, here's the place. And makes a sharp turn down like a big main drag. And there's every kind of chain restaurant that you can think of here. The sun has finally fully gone down at this point. It is night, but everything is still open. And yet you're hungry. The last time you ate was breakfast back in Vegas. I vote Taco Bell. Next to you, Dahlia whips around and looks at you like you're insane. Oh, buddy, you're in Del Taco country now. Why would you lower yourself? I am going to give her a disdainful look and go, yeah, sounds about Californian to me. She looks so offended. She brings a hand up to her chest and glares at you. If I'm Californian, it is by proxy and against my will. I just know a superior taco when I see one, Damien. But by all means, enjoy your mystery meat slopped onto the floweriest of flour tortillas with shredded Velveeta. As opposed to a salsa that's 80% water and no Fiesta potatoes? Luke taps the brakes a little too hard and sends you both lurching forward in your bench seat. Oh, well, goddamn, like, there's an in and out right there. Why are we still talking about it? Obviously, we're going there. Damien makes a face and says, Oh, you're from SoCal, huh? Luke's reaction is so visceral that he doesn't even have time to mask it. He gets really defensive and just goes, I miss animal fries, okay? You all drive past the in and out and he takes a deep, calming breath sort of scans this big main street ahead of you and goes, Okay, I'm gonna keep peace in the car. Sort of scans this big main street ahead of you and goes, Uh, McDonald's? Uh. In unison, all three of you reject that. You keep going, strip malls, hair salons, small town bullshit. You drive past a Chick-fil-A and nobody in the car says anything. (laughs) And then finally, several minutes later, Luke just goes, fuck it, Denny's, and then jackknifes into a parking lot. You screech to a halt outside a very well-known 24-hour diner chain and Luke puts the car in park and turns the ignition off. (sighs) All right. What do y'all want? Dahlia reaches down under the bench seat and pulls up this little zip-top cooler that she opens and pulls out a blood bag labeled AB negative, gnaws the corner off the side with her very sharp vampire fangs, and goes, I mean, I've got everything I need right here, but hey, if you want to pick me up a turkey club... Then why couldn't we go to... (sighs) 
I never said that we couldn't go to Taco Bell. I just said that you were an idiot for liking it. Damien steeples his fingers in front of his face, sighs the long-suffering sigh of someone who grew up as a middle child, and says, Okay. Can I get an all-American slam no sausage, please? Luke, who also has the look of somebody's sibling on the world's worst road trip, leans forward and rests his head against the steering wheel. And a moon's over my hammy for yours truly. All right, I'll be back. And he just bails out of the car and goes inside. You and Dahlia are both left still strapped into your bench seat, kind of looking at each other. What are you doing? Unclicking my seatbelt, trying to get comfortable, and looking directly at the opposite wall of the van as I ask. So, are you okay? Dahlia's just sitting there, seatbelt still on, upending this blood bag into her mouth. She finishes chugging it, wipes at her mouth with the back of her hand, and just sighs. Sort of reaches down with her other hand to fiddle with her seatbelt. I mean, how okay are any of us? We're in the middle of the desert, still getting chased by things that can't see us. I, um, I've never done super well with not feeling safe, and that whole thing back on I-15, it it just... I don't want to say Luke's a bad driver, Luke got us through that, we're still safe, we're still alive, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm worried about being rude to Luke, because so far I've had a lot of fun doing that, but... He's also not responsible for how bad that freaked me out. Um, I... (sighs) She tosses her used-up blood bag to the side and just leans forward and puts her head in both hands. When I was a kid, I was involved in a really bad car accident that killed my mom, and ever since then, I just, um... Well, I don't drive, for one, and, um... I don't like being in cars with people that don't drive safely. Shit. I'm sorry about uh, all of the car chases that I've gotten you involved with in the last couple of days. Her hands ball up into fists in her hair. Yeah, so am I. I mean, I don't blame you, and I wouldn't do everything differently. I just... God, I never thought I'd say this. I can't wait to be back in L.A. where everything is walkable or you can take a train to it. Yeah, well, sounds like this time tomorrow we'll be there. So that's good. Oh, by this time tomorrow, we'll have been on a double-decker bus to look at B-list celebrities' homes, and I will have already broken into the blood bank at Cedar Sinai, trust me. Her hands loosen in her hair, and she brings one down to scrub it across her face. Look, I'm sorry, I know you're worried right now. I don't mean to freak out like this. If nobody was allowed to freak out when I'm already freaking out, I would have had a way different childhood, believe me. Don't apologize, I almost got you anamorphed into a cactus the other night. She bites at her lip to keep from laughing. You can see, like, one fang poking out. 
I thought the whole thing with the Animorphs was that they turned into animals. Cast your mind back to the fucking creatures in that casino and tell me it doesn't make you think of an Animorphs cover. Honestly, it made me think of like a moldy version of Hollywood Boulevard, but we'll agree to disagree. Either way, a couple more hours of this and then... Rest. Yeah, God, imagine. Almost immediately afterward, Luke comes out of the front door of this place with an arm full of to-go bags, and you snarf down some food around this little Formica kitchenette table. And then you all buckle up, and Luke drives you out of the town of Barstow, down a not-super-well-lit state route towards the south. You emerge back into the yawning expanse of the desert, and as he reaches down to fiddle with the gear shift, he goes, All right, deep breaths, everybody. There's not that much that can go horribly wrong between here and Los Angeles. So, Kaylin, we find you in your backyard, surrounded by people. The way that Ellie talked about throwing this whole shindig was, like, she implied that she was going to be inviting over both of your friends. This is not the case. The guest list consists of Lydia, Frankie, Bailey, your cousin Kira, and Augie. So, like, either she didn't have anybody that she could think to invite, or this is an intervention. Ah. You're leaning towards the former because, like, nobody has tried to have a conversation with you. Ellie attempted to grill some hot dogs and they came out somehow both burnt and raw. So she is shamefacedly sitting at the picnic table as Lydia wearing a pair of oversized sunglasses because she's still recovering from a concussion is dutifully flipping burgers. Always good to know there's at least one competent butch in the friend group. Okay. (laughs) Lydia's carrying this friend group on her fucking back. As soon as they arrived, Bailey went into your garage looking for some kind of outdoor party game and emerged with a bocce set that you had no idea was in there. Frankie is, like, leaning over the picnic table to talk at Augie, who is visibly in a state... A little bit red-eyed, a little bit sluggish, you know. And Kira is pacing the perimeter of the backyard on the phone with somebody named Jackson, and it appears that she is negotiating a very messy breakup. And here you stand, in the middle of all of this. What are you doing? Can I roll to read a bad situation? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Thirteen. Okay. Go ahead and ask me two questions off the list and one freeform question. What is my best way out? I I cannot stress enough what a bad situation this is for K specifically. Like, the idea of being the center of any social event, be it a party or an intervention, and just being perceived by a bunch of people she knows, she needs to get the fuck out immediately right now. 
Like, I think she is so upset by this whole deal that what she is doing at this moment is just standing next to the grill, arms akimbo, shaking like a fucking chihuahua. I think we need to set some parameters for quote-unquote best way out. Because the fastest way out would just be to walk past everyone into the garage, hop on your bike, and go away. But there would be questions after that. And also, you live here, so, like, there's logistics involved in getting a motel room, you know, it's a whole thing. (laughs) I do have that cash in the toolbox, though, so I could, I could run away from all this. You could, and I think that that possibility comforts you a little bit. But the least disruptive way out uh, would probably be to go back in the house for a minute and, like, grab some kind of supplies. It doesn't look like Lydia's out of things to grill yet, but uh, Ellie has been hitting a cooler full of beers pretty hard. She doesn't look like she's having any more fun than you are, despite the fact that this was her fucking idea. Okay, second question about this bad situation. What's the biggest threat? I don't know how to answer that, buddy. At any moment, any of these people could decide to pull you into a conversation. Horrifying. Okay, can I ask my freeform question now? Go ahead. Why? Why has my own sister, my flesh and blood, done this to me? (laughs) Ellie has not approached you since people got here, but, like, the entire time she has been just, like, kind of giving you concerned sideways looks. You can only assume that she is worried about you and doesn't have the emotional intelligence to talk about it. (sighs) Something, something, road to hell, something, something, good intentions. All right, Kay's gonna just go back in the house, ostensibly to restock the cooler, and fucking decompress for a second before walking back outside and just shotgunning the first beer she can get her hands on. You walk back out, set the cooler back down on the table where it had been sitting. There are a few flies that have been, like, lazily circling it, and they immediately converge back on it. Ellie kind of squints at you, holding her own beer protectively, and says, Should you be drinking with your meds, or? Kay finishes chugging and narrows their eyes at her. I don't know, 20-year-old. When I talked to the pharmacist at my consultation, they did mention something about risk of death, but I figured since that's already happened, I've got a carte blanche to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, you do that, and have to bat away one of the flies that's encircling the cooler. It immediately goes over and lands on the side of Ellie's bottle as she gives you an extremely perturbed look and says, Alright, God forbid I ask. Your fucking funeral. Oh, shit. Wow. I didn't mean it like, wow! Kay grabs two more beers and walks away. You walk away across the yard. I think probably towards the garage where Bailey is gamely setting up bocce ball and ignoring everyone. (laughs) As you're walking, Lydia shuts the grill, steps away, and... There's a bit of a shift in your perception. Again, it's not one of those full breaks you've been having. Like, you are still at this barbecue, unfortunately for you. But 
as you're walking, kind of off, like through a heat haze, you see your dad leaning up against the grill, uh, it's in the same place, talking to someone you can't see and kind of idly swirling a rocks glass in his hand. The grill's kind of set up near the outside wall of the yard, and near it you see your brother, maybe eight, nine years old at the oldest, sitting cross-legged on the lawn, leaned back against the wall with his head tipped back into the sunshine. And as you walk a little closer, he cracks one eye open to look at you, and then sits up and signs, Breathe. This is supposed to be fun. I think that Kay is kind of stripped down to survival mode by the sheer social stress of this whole situation, so doesn't really think and immediately signs back. I don't need to breathe anymore, unless it's to talk. Or scream, which I might do any minute now. And then immediately realizes, oh fuck, I'm signing to a hallucination, and quickly looks around to make sure that nobody saw that. Yeah, nobody's really looking at you. You catch kind of a quizzical look from Kira, but she's still on the phone and, like, her attention quickly diverts from you. Ellie is deliberately not looking at you, given the snipping that you two were just doing at each other. And everybody else is focused on other things. You watch as in whatever memory hallucination you're having, your dad nudges at your brother and signs, go take your inhaler, bud. And little eight-year-old Damien groans and then hops up and starts to go inside, stops next to you, and then looks not as much up as he should be, but in your direction and says, you coming? (sighs) Yeah, I think they're pretty aware that Whatever is happening in front of their eyes is not what the rest of the people at the party can see, and Kay's not gonna risk responding or, like, trying to reality check themselves, because that would alarm people and make people pay attention to her, which would be the worst thing in the world, actually. She's gonna slam another beer and then look for somewhere to go that is as far out of the way as possible while still making an appearance. You go over and I think just plop down on the lawn uh, against the wall of the garage as far as you can get from Bailey while still being over there. And these flashbacks, hallucinations, whatever, melt away. And it's just you. Yeah, I don't think she consciously knows or remembers this, but, you know, blah blah, the body remembers. The only way Kay can get through social functions without having a panic attack is people watching from a secluded space. So she's gonna crack open her last beer and just sit there and evaluate what everyone else is doing. Bailey finishes setting up bocce ball and goes to bug people to play with them. Lydia is prying Frankie out of talking to Augie by asking about, uh, apparently wedding plans? You didn't even know that she and Bailey were engaged, but apparently. Augie turns to Ellie and starts asking about what's up with school. She's going in for her finals. You still don't know what she's majoring in. Nobody has told you since you got back. And 
Kira continues to pace around on the phone, occasionally stops to snag a french fry off of somebody's plate, and then keeps going. They all are sending occasional glances over your way, but nobody's coming over to make you participate in the conversation. They're just talking about their lives, which are all going on. <laughs> Wonder what that's like. I need another beer. Yeah, you start to get up, you have to bat away another fly. There seem to be a few of them congregating in this area of the yard. And you walk up, grab another drink. As you're going over there, Kira stands by the table, hangs up her phone, puts it down, and goes, (sighs) and then picks her phone back up, walks over near where you were sitting a second ago, and just sits down on the ground. Okay, question about my family. I know we collected novelty ashtrays. Do we have some fun beer koozies? Ellie kind of scrounged around in, like, the junk drawer in your kitchen and managed to scrounge up, like, a Hoover Dam beer koozie and one from, like, the Grand Canyon and uh, one that is styled to just look like a Hollywood Walk of Fame star that says Andrew where the name goes. You gather that there is a strong possibility that if anyone collects them, it is your Uncle Drew, and what is left in your house are the dregs that he did not take when he moved out. I'm gonna take the Andrew Walk of Fame koozie, put it on another beer, and then go sit next to Kira. It's a weird situation that's going on now, because Kay is under immense social stress and is very much like, don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't perceive me, but also in a place where she is realizing that she has no human connection. And as she goes and sits next to Kira, there's a realization of, oh, this is supposedly my favorite cousin, and I know absolutely nothing about her. So they sit down, crisscross applesauce in the dirt next to Kira, and kind of knock their knee into hers. Hey, you want to talk about it? Please say no. Kira drags both hands down her face and just looks at you, very reminiscent of the scream for a moment. You haven't talked to anybody since I've been here, and now you're willingly starting a conversation with me. Do I seem that pathetic right now? Do you want the nice answer or the honest one? She puts her head in her hands. (laughs) Well, I mean, hey, look at you. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. The nice answer and the honest answer are the same thing. Perhaps it will bring you comfort to know that you will never be as pathetic as the corpse at the barbecue. Kira lets out a really loud, really ugly snort laugh. And then sits up and reaches over and takes your beer. Hey, watch it, Bogart! Kay makes, like, one futile grab for the beer, and then just goes and gets another one and comes back and sits down again. By the time you get back, Kira has drank half of the bottle that you brought over, seemingly all at once. And she puts it down, takes a deep breath, and goes, Whew, that is vile! I understand if Ellie didn't want to break out the hard liquor, but, like, 
She couldn't have sprung for Angry Orchard. The pickings at the discount grocery store were slim, and honestly, I'll take any way out of this whole thing that I can. Speaking of which, not to, you know, undercut your situation, my condolences about your Jackson. I'm just wondering, and I'm kind of trusting you blind on this to be brutally honest with me, was I always like this at parties? Was it always this fucking bad for me? Kira takes another swig of now her beer and raises an eyebrow at you and says, <clears throat> Maybe this will bring you some measure of comfort. You will never be as bad at parties as Maureen. Or my dad. Or your dad after a certain number of drinks. A uh, preemptive apology for any offense, but who's Maureen? I haven't met her yet. Kira gets a very brief deer-in-the-headlights look, and then shakes herself off. My oldest sister, trust me, you don't want her at either a social function or any kind of difficult conversation. If she wants to see you, she'll invite you over to her place and, I don't know, psychoanalyze you, ramble about the history of psychotherapy, something. If she's feeling feisty, you might get to hear her bitch about Freud. Oh, this whole family is kind of a mess, huh? I take offense, but I just got broken up with for setting a fire in my boyfriend's apartment, so like, y you know. Are you sure you're my favorite cousin? Because like, I know there has to be a reason that Ellie invited you over and not the rest of the family. Yeah, dickhead. Thanks. Also... Rory and Beth are too young to drink, and Carrie's pregnant, and again, nobody wants to party with Maureen. Carrie's pregnant? Oh, wow, I, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. In other news, the Pope's Catholic. Um, that's good? Yeah, it's good. If she didn't want it, she wouldn't have it. You can congratulate her the next time you see her. Don't ask about the baby daddy. She liked the idea of being a mom more than the idea of staying with that guy, so. My god, you wake up in a hole in the desert and all of a sudden you find out you're going to be someone's first cousin once removed. Anyway, Kira, I'm... <sighs> I'm sorry, I can't remember any of the important shit, but thanks for being here, even though, you know, this is something I patently did not want. She knocks her knee into yours and kind of leans back into the sunshine. Eh, I know it's not your fault. And I'm sorry you're having a rough time. With the party, I mean, I, I'm always glad to get a free burger on Ellie's tab, but, you know. Kay doesn't know how to respond to that and then just goes into, like, social script mode where it's like, oh, I'm at a party, I need to make jokes. <laughs> yeah, uh, burgers on Ellie's tab as long as she's not the one cooking them, right? From across the yard, your sister yells, FUCK OFF! And Kira snickers and then elbows you and says, I mean, you're not any better. The two of you lived on takeout and saltines for like a year after Dee disappeared. <laughs> yeah. As you make an uncomfortable noise, Kira stops in the middle of a sip of beer and goes, 
Oh, shit. Uh, right. Amnesia. Too soon. Oh, God. And, again, you're still here, but you have another one of those little wobbles in your perception. Halfway across the yard, you see Kira, maybe 15 years old. Truly a disaster of a haircut going on. Talking animatedly, gesturing with one hand. And you see your brother, about 13, you think, sneak up behind her and do the whole dropping an ice cube down the back of someone's t-shirt bit. This younger version of Kira whirls around with a screech, and this younger version of your brother just bolts across the backyard, cackling. And the adult Kira, sitting next to you, grimaces and says, Yeah, I'm sorry, that was... I shouldn't have said that. Um, uh... She kind of looks like she has no idea what to do for a second, and then shakes her head and says, I'm gonna go take Bailey up on that game of bocce ball. Uh, I'm gonna... And then she stands up and walks off. And you're alone again. Okay, if they're alone, they're gonna open up their phone camera and try to reality check themselves subtly, like trying to look like they're checking a text or something. You are still seeing these teenage versions of your brother and Kira run around the backyard. They don't show up in your phone camera. And you watch as 15-year-old Kira tackles your 13-year-old brother to the ground, and they both disappear. It's, like, weird and hard to describe how crushingly lonely Kay feels at that moment. So, instead of just turning her phone off, she pivots it around to snap a picture of Ellie and Lydia at the grill, and the folks playing bocce ball in the background, and sends that picture to Lola with the caption, We're having my unbirthday party. Help. Lola sends back a cry laughing emoji and one of the little party horn emojis, and then a picture of herself lounging in what can only be her bed with the world's ugliest cat laying directly on their chest. Like, I'm not kidding, this cat looks fucked up. <laughs> okay. It's like a, a tortie with, like, half an ear missing and, like, claw marks on its back and one little snaggle tooth poking out. Dead asleep. Lola is smiling bemusedly. They've got the sling off, but their arm is still bandaged up. They are wearing a tank top and a bonnet and have a blanket pulled up to about where the cat is. The photo is just captioned. Having a lazy day, can't come. Wish you were here. Kay texts back, don't worry, you're not missing much, and then gets up to go get another beer and play some bocce ball. The party wears on. It starts to get dark, and everybody starts shuffling inside. Everybody kind of settles on the couches, and as everybody's getting comfortable, Ellie stands in the middle of the living room and just goes, I'm drunk. In, like, visible despair. 
Kay brought the cooler in with them and has it sitting on the couch next to them and just reaches for another beer and raises it towards her. It is my intention to join you. Frankie gets up from the couch and goes over and slings an arm around Ellie's shoulders, which is an accomplishment because Frankie is much shorter than Ellie is, and starts ushering her up the stairs, comes back down after a minute and settles back on the love seat, curled up against Bailey. I think you all settle in to watch a movie or something. And one by one, everybody else in this living room falls asleep. And you realize that you cannot join them. Nope. Because Kaylin is dead. And everybody that she cares about is alive. And their lives just keep going on even after hers has stopped. Well, not everybody that she cares about. The time takes over past midnight, 12.30 in the morning. And the ghost of your grandmother comes out of the kitchen, wearing her bathrobe and holding a glass and a cigarette in one hand. She starts kind of bustling around the room, just doing little things. She takes the banana clip out of Frankie's hair and takes Bailey's glasses off. She readjusts an ice pack that Lydia had on her head, throws a blanket over Augie, and takes Kira's phone out of her hand gently and puts it a few feet away, and then she stops in front of you, bends down, gives you a kiss on top of the head, and then straightens up and signs, have a good rest of your night. And then she walks upstairs. Oh, okay, fun. The uh, deep and crushing loneliness is back. Kay takes out their phone and takes a picture of everybody crashed on the couches and floor around them and sends it to Lola with the caption, Who should I draw a mustache on first? Several minutes pass without a response. And you don't get the little, like, red notification. If you had to guess, you would say Lola's probably asleep, too. Great, and they don't feel good about the idea of, like, turning on the TV or any other distraction because it might wake people up, so Kay just sits there. After another minute, actually, you're sitting there. I think the TV is, like, still on. You were all watching a movie, but it's, like, turned down very low. It's low enough that you can very clearly hear from upstairs a thump and a startled yelp. Oh, running. I'm up. I'm going. You run upstairs. There are not lights on anywhere up here except the bathroom. The door is closed. Kay goes to just bust in and stops right before and realizes, oh, my sister's in the bathroom. This might be awkward. And then just frantically knocks on the door. Ellie? Ellie doesn't respond. You start to hear water running. Nope, going in. If the door is locked, I'm gonna telekinesis it off its fucking hinges. The door's not locked. 
you open this outer door into the bathroom. You see that the inner door is also open, just flung wide. And inside, for a second, it looks like the ghost of your mother is, like, rubbing Ellie's back while she's puking into the bathtub. Like, that's what your brain wants to process it as. And then the light flickers. And this ghost almost lazily turns her head to look at you. And her lips are pulled back into this vicious snarl. And you watch a drip of crimson come out of the fucking gouges on the wrist that is not currently over Ellie's back. You watch her other hand go down and you realize that the bathtub is half full of water. That it is going from a translucent pink to deep, deep red as a puddle starts to spread over the bathroom floor. I will roll to kick some ass if I have to. I am grabbing Ellie by the back of her shirt, pulling her out of the bathtub and pushing her out into the hallway behind me. Like, putting myself between the ghost and her. You run in, you are slipping on the water as it starts to spread over the tiles, also going from translucent pink to red. You grab Ellie and the ghost doesn't like come apart as you reach through her, but she does jitter and glitch and disappear for a second. You drag Ellie out of the water. She comes up spluttering and choking and you push her out into the outer part of the bathroom and then turn in the doorway and the ghost comes back. With no discernible movement, she has gone from crouched on the floor to standing in front of you. The water dripping off of her is also starting to go red, red, red all the way down. So it just looks like her hair and her pajama shirt and her shorts are just soaked in blood. She looks at you still with that snarl and go ahead and roll to kick some ass. Okay, so the thing is I have this new move called the Big Whammy, and I can use my powers to kick some ass and roll plus weird instead of plus tough. Eleven. Okay, fucking eleven. Alright. This ghost straightens up, and her movements are jerky and unnatural, and she lunges toward you with her hand raised and swipes at you like she is trying to claw your face open. Um, I rolled an 11 on kick some ass, which means I get to pick an extra effect. I choose to take one less harm. If she's swinging on me, I'm going to try to just catch her by the wrist. Yeah, you grab her by the wrist. It is not like grabbing a person. There's a weird sensation of like holding onto something that is there and not there. It's like the memory of grabbing a person by the arm more than anything, and this weird static electricity tingling in the skin on your hand. She stands there and looks at you, and her face is a rictus of pure fucking rage. 
and the light is flickering over your head wildly. Oh, I don't fucking think so! Off to your side, the bathroom mirror breaks with a musical sound of shattering glass. Kaylin does not even pay attention to that. Whatever this attack does, it's to harm, close, obvious, ignore armor. In time with the bathroom mirror shattering, this ghost starts to glitch and warp in front of you. Like, you're still holding on to that memory of a wrist, but the ghost in front of you is twisting and distorting strangely. The light above your head keeps flickering, and in one flicker, the ghost in front of you is this splintered, distorted thing, proportions all off, features wrong, and another flicker, and she is completely normal, just this woman who is barely five years older than you. And then another flicker, and she's distorted again. All the while, monster to woman and back again, she is trying to tug her wrist out of your grip. She's bringing her other hand up like she's gonna smack you. Kay raises their eyebrows and does not loosen their grip on this ghost's wrist. You gonna do it, Mom? Go ahead. Her hand draws back and slaps you across the face. It feels like an electric shock more than anything, but like, usually if you get zapped, like with electricity, it feels hot. Your cheek is cold. And she's still standing there trying to pull her other wrist out of your hand, snarling. You take one harm. Oh, this is sad. Uh, Kay has no idea why they take that slap like a fucking champ, but they do. Rather than flinching from it, they tighten their grip on this ghostly wrist and tug her in until their foreheads are basically touching. Alright, let's make one thing clear. You and I have issues. Even if I don't understand it, I know it. But you take them up with me. You try to fuck with my little sister ever again, and I swear to God, I will make your afterlife so unpleasant that when you finally get there, hell will feel like a mercy. Am I understood? This ghost is still snarling and actively fighting as you tug her closer. I think she gets another slap in. You take one more harm. You say, am I understood? And there is a moment of stillness. Her face is still contorted in rage, but she stops fighting you for a second. And you see something that is a little more chilling than the rage in her face for the first time. You see a moment of clarity. And then the light bulb over your head shatters. And this ghost is gone. Fuck it, don't care. I'm running out to check on Ellie. Ellie's out in the hallway. I don't think she's tried to stand up. I think she's taking a second to collect herself. Just laying on the floor, completely fucking soaked in this pinkish, reddish bath water. Coughing, sputtering. Still visibly drunk. Unfortunately. K 
Kay-like baseball slides to their knees beside her and gets an arm around her shoulders, gets her upright, starts like thumping on her back, hoping to get some of the water out. Alright, are you okay? Seems like a bad question to ask right now, but uh, are you living? Ellie coughs up a couple mouthfuls of water and then pauses and gives you a look. (coughs) That's a better question? Kay's just staring into the bathroom, the shattered light bulb on the ground, the empty space where a fucking horrifying thing was a second ago. Yeah, well, my apologies. Amnesia's a hell of a drug. I never stopped to consider that maybe dear old mom hated anybody else more than she already hates me. Ellie follows your eyeline into the bathroom, face twisting in some combination of emotions that you can't even begin to unpack. Yeah, well, she's not my mom, so... Damien, we find you on a dark desert highway, cool wind in your hair, in the middle of the night, standing by an abandoned, lightless stretch of road, next to a smoking, useless Volkswagen bus that seems to have had something go drastically wrong with the engine. I take a very deep breath, and then turn and look at Luke, dead-eyed. Not that much that can go wrong between here and Los Angeles. Luke doesn't pay that much attention to you. He's just been pacing back and forth in front of the bus. The hood is propped, it is still smoking, and he appears to have tried to do whatever he can to it to get it up and running again, but, um, he's dead, Jim. He stops to kind of lean into the hood of this thing and look around, makes a disgusted noise, and then just starts pacing again. Beside you, Dahlia looks way more calm than you feel. All right, everybody, just take a breath. It's okay. Mick has AAA, I have the card, let me just... And then she pulls out her phone, lights up the screen, starts tapping at things arbitrarily. Oh, god damn it! Do I still have to take a breath, or can we, uh, freak out now? Dahlia side-eyes you super hard from where she's holding her phone. I could call AAA if I had service, which I don't. (sighs) I should have known this would happen. Mick doesn't drive, and he only takes Octavia out for her learner's permit, and... Well, she doesn't drive sticks, so this thing has probably not had any maintenance since Woodstock! (laughs) Oh, great! So we're stranded in the middle of the desert. No cell service. No car. Is that what... We're all agreeing is happening here. Luke stops pacing and puts up a hand. No, no, I just need time to think. I mean, I can... I I can fix this. We'll be fine. He digs into the engine of this car and starts pulling things. You hear several hisses and pops. And a couple minutes later, he pops back up. 
<sighs> okay, so what I know is how to hotwire a car. I don't know what to do when the engine's fucked. It's gonna be okay, though, I mean, right? We're gonna be okay. We just have to walk until we find cell service. I mean, how far can you go in 2018 and not have cell service? In the high fucking desert, Luke? Okay, we might be fucked. I'm gonna grab my shit out of the van and start fucking walking. Okay, you guys were far enough from Barstow that it is not within walking distance anymore. So you're just out in the middle of nowhere. As Luke and Dahlia catch up to you, their baggage in tow, Dahlia is just holding a phone up to the sky, praying under her breath. But after a while, she seems to give up hope and just puts her phone in her pocket and keeps trudging forward. Luke, to his credit, seems to be more optimistic. He's walking directly along the side of this very narrow two-lane road with one thumb out, like there's going to be a car <laughs> that could let you guys hitchhike. He brings his other hand up to pinch at his nose and just sighs. <sighs> maybe I should just stop saying stuff, huh? Yeah, maybe. I think Damien's feeling a little more on edge than the situation necessarily calls for, but he's not gonna think too hard about that. He's just gonna keep walking. Yeah, it's actually a very calm night. You hear crickets out in the darkness and see nothing for a long time as the three of you keep tromping away from the wreckage of the Volkswagen bus. You sort of lose track of time for quite a while, just moving in silence with Luke and Dahlia, but then up ahead in the distance, you see a shimmering light. It lights up the sky in front of you in a way that is heartbreakingly familiar. It's neon. And the closer you and Luke and Dahlia stagger toward it, you slowly see that it is a sign that simply reads, Motel. Okay, I'm gonna call Luke and Dolly's attention to it. Hey, guys! Luke has been staring, embarrassed, at the ground for most of this walk, but he looks up when you call and goes, Oh shit, I bet they got phones. Dahlia, we can call AAA from there, yeah? Dahlia, who has been bemoaning the death of some of her best goth boots at the cost of this trek through the desert, stops, looks up, yeah, I mean, we could. And, uh, you're buying, right? Since, you know, you did jinx us. You know, that is a really solid point, Dahlia. Luke looks super offended and raises both hands up over his head, car keys still jingling around one of his fingers. Oh, no, we can never come to Luke's defense. We can never maybe consider... Back before all this bullshit started when Luke said, Hey, I feel like this is a bad idea, but I'm gonna go along with it anyway, because what fucking choice do I have? I just want to reiterate, not my fucking fault the car broke. Damien rolls his eyes and reaches down to pat Luke on the back and says, Nobody made you jinx us, pal. And then he's gonna keep walking. You all keep walking down the road, this motel sign looms larger and larger in front of you through the darkness, and 
very quietly from next to you, Dahlia reaches down and hesitantly wraps a hand around your forearm. I don't like this. Can I roll to read a bad situation? Yeah, you absolutely can. Okie dokie, I got a nice plus one. Six. Okay, well, I'll mark experience then. Oh, that's fun. All right. So you all rock up to the front of this motel, eventually. It's not in a town, per se. It is a stop off this desolate desert highway where there is the motel, there is a fast food establishment across the street, and then off in the distance in the dark, you can see a couple of lights that are probably houses. This place does uh, not exactly look like the Ritz-Carlton, I'll say. It is a stereotypical roach motel. You see several cars pulled up in the parking lot outside, a couple lights on in various windows stretching down around the sort of motor court style of building, and there is a big sign over a set of glass and steel double doors that says office, and the lights in there are on also. What would you like to do? I'm gonna give Dahlia's hand a squeeze, and then I'm walking inside. Inside of these double doors is... a motel office. You know what I'm talking about. Cheap linoleum floors, hallways stretching down in kind of an L shape from the nexus of this office with, like bad 90s bowling alley carpet. The whole place stinks of stale cigarette smoke and old beer. There's another set of double doors at the back of this office that looks into a big concrete courtyard that has what appears to be some kind of bar and a shoddily constructed in-ground pool. You saw cars on the parking lot, so it stands to reason that, yeah, there are people here, and you see what appears to be some of those people milling around the pool and the bar through these doors. But closer than that, behind this 70s-era looking for Micah-topped front desk, you see a girl. 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that range white girl, super pale, has a massive spray of freckles across her entire face and her neck down into the collar of this very oversized comfy t-shirt that she has on. Voluminous head of these deep red ringlets spiraling down over her shoulders. She's got it looks like noise-canceling earphones, like something you would wear at a gun range or a concert to protect your hearing, and is just fully fixated on crocheting some little creature on top of this Formica countertop. She doesn't even notice you come in. Okay, I'm gonna walk up to the front desk. She doesn't notice you for a bit. She seems very absorbed in her crocheting. I'm gonna, like, 
tap on the desk vaguely in her eyeline. She full body twitches like you have startled her. And then looks up to you and Luke and Dahlia. And you see this moment of like fear and apprehension on her face that immediately melts away and is replaced by a big customer service smile. I cringe and say, Sorry, uh, hi. This girl yanks her noise-canceling headphones off and does not falter in that perfect, placid customer service expression. Oh, no, uh, don't, don't be sorry. Um, welcome to the Motel Bahabesa. Uh, how can I help you? She has a little name tag clipped to that big oversized t-shirt that just says Molly. I step back and, like, gesture for Luke to handle things. Luke steps in. You can tell he's pretty used to talking to people in backwoods motels, wherever the hell he is. Yeah, uh, we're just trying to check in for the night. Do you all have a working phone system? Because our cells are all dead. This girl behind a counter taps a sign that just says $35 slash night. I mean, yeah, our service is a little bit spotty for sure, but uh, you gotta check in before you can use it. Double rooms are a slight upcharge. I could maybe cut you a deal and do 45 and then 30 for whoever's left. Luke looks exhausted and just kind of scrubs a hand on the side of his face. (sighs) Alright, when I tell you that I don't want to sleep with any of these people, we'll just take three singles. What will that cost us? This girl behind the counter does some, like, quick math on her fingers. Um, well, with the cash deposit, uh, that would be 130. And Luke, who has been in the possession of a lot of the cash procured through dubious means, just slams two Benjamins and an ID down on top of this counter. The girl quickly shoves the bills into a cash drawer under the desk and looks at Luke's ID in a kind of cursory way. All right, welcome, Mr. Smith. Thank you. I think despite himself, Damien raises his eyebrows, but he does not say anything. Luke gives you a look that can only be summarized with shut the fuck up. And this girl reaches onto a peg wall behind her and pulls off three keys. They are labeled 13, 14, and 15. Smacks him down on the counter. Luke immediately scoops up 15 and just disappears down the hall to find his room. I'm scooping up 13 and giving Dahlia kind of an apologetic look. He snores and I'm kind of a light sleeper. Sorry. Dahlia gives you a baleful look but scoops up the number 14 key. The girl behind the counter looks back and forth between you, caught between apprehension and excitement. I mean, if you're not super tired, we have a kind of pool party going on out back. It's nothing formal, uh, you know. My parents run the place, but I handle most of the logistics, and yeah, there's friends back there. 
not that I want to overstep anybody's boundaries or anything. It's just, you know, we don't get that much business out here and we're having fun. And uh, she shoves her hand over the Formica countertop at you, just finger splayed. Hi, Molly Hill. Nice to meet you. I think out of instinct, I'm going to reach for my necklace really quick and then realize that she couldn't see me if she was Faye because I do have the she shield in my pocket still. So I kind of stop and then reach out hesitantly and shake her hand. Ah, uh, Damien. Dahlia also reaches out and shakes her hand with a little wink. Dahlia Amari Castillo Bennett. Love the hair. Um, gonna pass on the pool party. I am gonna go lay down. Seems like kind of a waste of time to call AAA this late at night anyway. We'll just handle it in the morning. Across the counter, Molly deflates a little bit. You can see just this flash of pure rejection sensitivity go across her face right before the customer service mask gets slapped back on. Oh, um, okay. Sleep well, continental breakfast is six to ten. Oh. I think Damien feels the urge to agree to go to the party just out of reflex. <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna be real. He's had a very stressful day. He's been trekking through the desert for many minutes. He needs to be flat somewhere. He grimaces, holding on to the room key with a fucking vice grip. Sorry, I, um, I, I need to take my meds and go to bed. Uh, rain check? She's already sat back down behind the desk and picked up her little crochet project again. It looks like she's trying very hard to not seem bothered. Oh, don't sweat it. There's always people hanging out out there. It's just that I'm kind of too afraid to go in by myself. We'll catch you at the next one. Sweet dreams. And she pops those big noise-canceling headphones back on her head and just gets re-immersed in this craft project. I'm gonna walk with Dahlia up to our rooms and uh, separate at the doors. Give her a quick goodnight. I'm sure Luke's already in his room. Oh yeah, he's sawing logs down in room 15. You can hear it out in the hallway. I look at his door, look at Dahlia, say, Good luck and good night, and then I'm going in my room. You key into a motel room that is... It's not dirty, but it's bad. Like, it's pretty obviously been deeply cleaned recently, but it's showing its age. The carpet in here is almost completely threadbare. It's got one of those, like, stereotypically budget motel comforters on the bed where the fabric feels plasticky and almost waterproof. All of the furniture in here, dresser, nightstands, desk, is like old wood paneling with deep gouges in it showing years of use and abuse. There's no dust and no dirt on anything, but the place is very obviously worn out from the loose and chipped teal tiles and avocado green tub in the bathroom all the way up to the top of the nicotine-stained wallpaper. 
you don't think you'll catch any diseases from this place, but it is a bad motel room. The sum total of your amenities in this room are a big box TV set with rabbit ears and a dial to change the channels, and a rotary phone sitting on the nightstand. Yeah, uh, Damien's stayed at a roach motel before. I think he's gonna first off check for bed bugs, and then make sure the water runs and is not a funny color. No bed bugs. The linens, though old and worn, are, as I said about the rest of the room, very clean. Plumbing seems to be in good working order. It's not dirty, it's just bad. Then I'm gonna splash some water on my face, take my meds, and I think I'm gonna sit down on the edge of the bed and look at the phone for a really long minute. And then I'm gonna try and make a call. You pick up this receiver, and the first thing that strikes you is that you don't hear a dial tone. For a second, it sounds almost like static. White noise. But the longer you listen to it, the more you're able to discern... Not words, it's too distant. It sounds like voices down a corridor whispering and mumbling, all layering over each other. Dozens of people just speaking incomprehensibly over this phone line. But even if you listen as hard as you can, you cannot make out a single perceptible word. I'm gonna hang the phone back up and try to go to bed. You fall asleep to the sounds of this old, rundown building settling around you, and the rattle of an ancient window unit air conditioner. And you're not sure if you're dreaming or not, but you could swear at one point in the night, the AC shuts off, and rather than silence, you can still hear those voices, incomprehensible and distant but yet close, as if they're coming out of the walls themselves. Kaylin, it is a few days after we last saw you. You get home from a shift at the laundromat and catch your sister washing her hair in the downstairs bathroom sink. This has got to stop. What are you doing? Well, Kay's a decent enough person to not try to confront somebody with shampoo in their hair. So she's going to walk into the living room, pop open the front of the boys' enclosure, give them some food and some scritches. And then, without closing the enclosure or taking off her laundromat apron, go just stand in the doorway of the half bath. Not saying anything, just waiting for Ellie to finish and turn around. I don't necessarily think you're a very loud person, but, like, Ellie's not oblivious. You watch her shoulders tense up as she's trying to rinse the conditioner out of her hair. She clearly knows you're there. After a minute, she straightens up, kind of rubs a hand towel over her head. (sighs) 
Can I help you, Kay? Kay sort of perches one hip against the doorframe and crosses her arms over her chest. Oh, I don't think I'm the one that needs help here. You ready to talk about it yet? She rolls her eyes and slides past you out into the hallway. No idea what you're talking about. Oh, all right. In that case, let me refresh you. Um, I'm talking about the thing where one of the ghosts in our house, there are several, by the way, definitely tried to kill you the night of the barbecue. I saved your ass and I still haven't gotten a thank you. Somehow, her shoulders get even tenser as she starts to bustle around the living room, just straightening things up kind of mindlessly. Ghosts aren't real. I I don't know what happened. I was drunk and you were hallucinating. I, I don't. Are you really trying to gaslight me right now? I'm sorry, after I went full Baywatch and pulled your ass out of the bathtub and washed the bloody water out of your clothes. They do, like, this exaggerated (laughs) jacking off motion. Oh, ghosts aren't real. Well, neither are zombies. Newsflash. And then wave down at themselves like a burlesque dancer in an opening number. Ellie makes a frustrated noise in the back of her throat and just goes, Well, maybe if you ever fucking looked for the reasonable explanation in one of these situations, I wouldn't have to be the downer every single time. Oh, all right, fine. Enjoy your super reasonable sponge baths, since, you know, you have no reason to be afraid of going in the upstairs bathroom. You just prefer to live like this. I get it. Ellie actually turns to face you, and you see... Just for a second, like, a moment of real vulnerability on her face. Oh, yeah, because believing that my dad's first wife is haunting my fucking house, that's really gonna help me. Oh, yeah, you know, all the problems in my life, what do those matter against the fact that a woman who fucking never met me wants to kill me because I exist? Cool. I've got enough problems with my mother, okay? I don't need to deal with yours. Kaylin actually backs up off the defensive for a second. Their expression softens, and they take a few steps forward, one hand up, almost like they're gonna go to, like, ruffle Ellie's hair in a comforting motion, before they curl it back into a fist and bring it back close to their body. Look, Ellie, you don't need to be afraid to take a shower, okay? Whatever that thing upstairs is, it's not gonna fuck with you, I made sure. We have an understanding. I'm not fucking discussing this! And then the doorbell rings. Much like me, Barry, the player, Kaylin fists their hands up in their hair and goes, and then goes to see who's at the door. You walk across the living room. Ellie was in a tank top to wash her hair because presumably she didn't want to get a real shirt wet, but she's like, Diving across the room to grab an overshirt and pull that on. You open the door, and the people standing on your front doorstep are in nice, pressed suits. Uh, like, not nice, but nicer than anything you would buy. Both white, both late 30s, early 40s, a man and a woman. And you can tell before they pull their badges out that they're fucking cops. Kay had opened the door kind of wide, assuming it was Lydia or somebody, but upon realizing this, immediately closes it to a crack, one eye peering out. 
Ellie gives you kind of a quizzical look from the other side of the room and signs. Who is it? Kay making an effort to not look at her and acknowledge her presence in front of these other people just does the sign for cop behind the door. Ellie makes a face like she's just stepped in dog shit. And on the other side of the door, the cops have both pulled out their badges at this point, and the guy says, Kaylin O'Connell? That depends. You got a warrant? The guy kind of squints and says, What? Why would we- And then the lady puts a hand up and cuts him off and says, That won't be necessary. Can we come in? We just have a few questions. Mentally, Kay starts going down through a list of potentially illegal shit in the house. There might be some ancient mummified weed in Damien's room, but it's 2018 in Nevada, so that's legal now. But I don't think she ever returned those guns to the Antonovs, and also there's several thousand dollars of cash and an eight ball of cocaine in the toolbox in the garage. So she waves Ellie forward from behind the door and just steps out onto the porch. The lady's mouth kind of pinches, but she doesn't push it. She just holds up her badge and says, I'm Detective Brown, this is Detective Dawson. I was handling your brother's missing persons case back in 2012, I don't know if you remember. Lawyer. The guy, apparently Detective Dawson, kind of steps in and says, And I was handling your missing persons case in March. Would you have time to actually answer a few questions about that as well? Lawyer. Detective Brown, like, fully rolls her eyes and just says, Nobody's under arrest. This isn't an interrogation. We just have a video that we'd like you to look at and make a positive ID. Has Ellie made her way out here yet? Yeah, as Detective Brown is saying that, Ellie is squeezing out of the door behind you. She's keeping it as shut as possible. She doesn't want these people looking in your house any more than you do. Okay, if that's all, then Kay will slowly and skeptically nod. Ellie settles next to you, so you are presenting a united front in front of the door. Detective Brown pulls out a very expensive-looking tablet. You feel a surge of rage in your body and starts tapping at it. And looking a little put out at still being outside, Detective Dawson says, Look, we just have uh, some footage of a robbery of a CVS in Barstow, California a few weeks ago. Just need you two to take a look at it and answer a couple of follow-up questions. It would have been sooner, but, you know, it had to cross state lines, interdepartmental politics, things getting lost in the shuffle. You get it. We don't, actually, and I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're not sure how anything going down in California concerns us, but go ahead. From next to you, Ellie says, Actually, I could just dip inside and call our uncle. He's a lawyer, you know? I think more out of shock than anything, Kay kind of cuts her eyes sideways over at Ellie and mumbles, Oh my god, Uncle Drew's a lawyer? Ellie stomps on your foot so hard. Ah! Detective Brown, just not even looking at her partner, says, Shut it, Dawson. And then turns this tablet around to face you. And security camera footage starts playing. (laughs) 
you are looking at a dark parking lot. There is indeed a CVS. And you are watching a truck pull out of the parking lot and onto the highway. In that truck, you see two figures. One is a Filipino guy in like his early 30s wearing a very brightly patterned shirt glancing at the cameras with kind of a rueful expression on his face and then looking back at the road he's in the driver's seat your brain doesn't really want to process the person next to him you're looking at a guy in his early early 20s maybe late teens even shoulder length curly dark hair it's tangled it obviously hasn't been taken care of very well really really skinny like visibly unhealthy levels of skinny with a couple of very prominent scars he looks into the camera directly I think Ellie gets it first because next to you she goes oh my god you look a little closer at this image and you're too far away to see a lot of details but you would recognize that long, crooked nose and the scar across the bridge of it anywhere. And more than that, you would recognize the stubborn fucking expression that crosses this guy's face anywhere. Even through the amnesia that you've been dealing with, something pings in your head. You're looking at your fucking brother. Detective Brown is looking at you very steadily. Ellie has taken a full step back against the front door. Just one hand over her mouth. Oh, Kaylin's in full mental freefall at this point. She fully forgets that there are law enforcement professionals on her front porch. She is just fixated on this footage. One hand extended so the tips of her fingers are just above the screen. Man? The tablet is instantly turned around and stuffed back in Detective Brown's bag. Thank you. Would you be willing to sign some forms just so we have a positive ID on the record? I... that... that's... oh my god, that's... Ellie bounces back a little faster than you do, puts an arm in front of you, and... In the tone of a woman grasping for a life preserver, says, We're not signing anything without a lawyer present. Uh, I'll, I'll call the station and give, uh, and give someone my email address. Um, if you could send us a copy of that, please. Um, Kay, inside. I don't think Kay is in any fit state to argue. They just let themselves be piloted back inside. Ellie shoves you inside. She is on your tail and she slams the door behind the two of you. Kaylin takes a couple stumbling steps forward and catches herself on the banister of the stairs, shifts to sit down. That shocked, numb expression slowly giving way to a big, medication-muted smile. <laughs> so, uh, how do you prefer to eat crow, Ellis? Baked? Roasted? Fricassee? Ellie also, as soon as the door shut, 
kind of stumbled into the house and just dropped down onto the couch, head in her hands. She looks up at you and says, Is this really the time to say I told you so? Well, I've been saying it since you got back. This is just the first time you've heard me. Kay gets up and dashes upstairs to her room. She's going to fumble around for some kind of bag and just start throwing clothes and toiletries into it. Oh, Ellie follows you up the stairs. I don't think she's going to go into your room, but she stops in the doorway and says, What are you doing? I'm packing. We've got a lead, right? Barstow, California. Trail might be a little cold, but it's somewhere to start. A little cold? Okay, if he was still in Barstow, the cops would have found him by now. Yeah, and store brand Mulder and Scully back there already have him on tape robbing a pharmacy, so if we wait for them to solve things, the next time we see our brother will be on the other side of some bulletproof glass through a phone. I'm sorry, that's not gonna happen. What, you're gonna ride up into the high desert with nothing but your keen powers of observation? Better than sitting here and waiting for concrete proof until it's too late. That's your strategy, it doesn't work for me. Kay shoves one last t-shirt into her bag and goes to shoulder past Ellie into the landing. Oh yeah, as opposed to your strategy, which ends us up here. You're undead, Damien's wanted for knocking over a fucking drugstore. And otherwise, we're exactly where we have been for the last five goddamn years. So can you take a fucking second? Have you stopped to think that maybe we wouldn't have been in this situation for years if you had just listened to me? Behind you, further in your room, you hear the sound of something breaking. And Ellie pays it no mind. She's up in your face going, You were too fucking checked out to listen to, Kay! I know... Ellie's not paying attention to it, but I'm going to turn around and see what broke behind me. So you have your whole windowsill full of poisonous plants. A couple of them are in these little glass vases, and one of them has cracked from the bottom a couple inches up. There's a long, silent moment where Kay thinks back to the shattered glass in the sink and her cracked windshield, and the way the mirror in the bathroom cracked during that encounter with Ellie, the way the light bulb exploded. And she just slowly reaches up and presses a hand to the base of her throat. But then she shrugs it off and storms down the stairs. Oh, and that's the whole problem, isn't it? You've finally been slapped in the face with hard evidence and suddenly Kaylin's not so crazy anymore and you don't know how to deal with it. Well, I'm sorry about your complex, Ellie. While you sit here with it, I'm going to go out and make sure that we don't lose our brother all over again. Oh, Ellie is charging after you, not missing a beat. She stops on the landing as you hit the bottom of the stairs and says, Oh, now we want to talk about what I can deal with? Not when I was 15 and my brother disappeared and I needed my big sister. Yeah, well, as far as I can remember, which isn't very far, admittedly, my entire life has been about other people needing me. I can only imagine that at some point I've had to prioritize, which is what I'm doing now. Right now, you're not the one with the cops after you. 
Oh, here we go again. Kay willfully misses the fucking point. And then there's a knock at the door. Kay freezes at the bottom of the stairs, duffel bags slung over their shoulder and hands up around their head. Ellie is still pissed. She whips around to look at the door and goes, Oh, for- Come back with a fucking warrant! And then there is another, much more hesitant knock. Do we have any kind of, like, window access to the front porch? I'm assuming the front door doesn't have a peephole. Uh, it doesn't, but the larger of the couches is backed up against a huge window that takes up most of the front of the house. Alright, Kay's gonna go perch one knee on one of the couches and slowly try to peek out through the curtains at what's out there. Standing on your porch, also holding a duffel bag, looking a little unnerved, is Lola. Okay, I'm gonna give Ellie a super irritated, like, I'm watching you gesture, and then go open the door. Lola plasters on a big smile as soon as she sees you and says, Uh, hi. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. (laughs) (laughs) From behind you, still on the landing in the middle of the stairs, Ellie snaps, You are not, you are not interrupting anything. They drop their duffel bag in the living room and fully do this awful stilted pose with their elbow perched in the doorframe and hand behind their head. Lola, uh, so great to see you again. What brings you back to Vegas? Please, God, say it's not more sirens. It's not. I mean, unless you've seen some, it doesn't matter. Um, so I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but I overheard an argument before I left and and she kind of hefts the duffel bag so I have some um, connections that can get some information and I want to help you look for your brother Kay turns around and looks up at the landing to shoot Ellie an absolute death glare At least someone does. And that's where we're going to end this time. (laughs) The interludes are going to be shorter episodes, we said. I swear to God, the next one's going to be shorter. It's just that Kay and Ellie tried to kill each other this time. Repeatedly, and we'll continue to do so next time. On Compelled Dual Desert Song. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things at the end of the episode. 
I will start, as I always do, by plugging our various social medias. We can be found on Tumblr, TikTok, and X.com, apparently, at Compelled Duel. We also have lots of other cool stuff going on. We've got an official Spotify profile where we post playlists. We have an official website. You can find all of that linked on our various social medias. If you like what you're hearing and are interested in supporting the podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of patron perks, early access to episodes, access to bonus content and patron exclusive playlists, lots of fun stuff. And if you want to support the show in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, Word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. If you like what you're hearing, just tell a friend. If they like it, ask them to tell a friend. It really helps. Our next episode will be coming out on a Monday. Again, the toll of production is hitting us pretty hard on this new campaign. It's taking a little bit longer than we thought it would to get new episodes out. But new episodes will always release on a Monday, and you will always have fair warning about it through our social media profiles. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.